listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Well, hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Review and Preview. Yes, I said it, good afternoon. We normally have our shows at 8 p.m., uh, either on Friday nights. I know in the summer we've been doing some Wednesdays. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Kyle Russo and James Montefusco. We do, apolog- uh, we do apologize for not having a show last week. Kyle, you were without power for over a week due yep. to... I don't know if you call it the hurricane or the tropical storm. I know a tree actually fell down. It was like a block from my house. And I know, James, you lost power as well. So yep. the East Coast was definitely uh, struggling this past week. Yeah, it definitely hit pretty hard. Um, I was actually pretty fortunate. We lost power on Tuesday. I was able to get power back Wednesday night, but cable and Wi-Fi didn't return till Tuesday night. So an entire week without Wi-Fi and then having a day's notice for the show is just too short of a time especially having Wi-Fi that was continuously shaky, but happy to be back and having a show right now with you guys. Thank you very much, Kyle. And we are thrilled to be back. So that's right. We are live tonight, 4 to 6 p.m. on Facebook Live. Follow us on Facebook at Review and Preview Sports. Follow our Instagram at Review and Preview. You can subscribe to this podcast on anchor.fm slash Review and Preview, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. You can check our description for all those platforms. Any fan questions, comment in the feed. We'll get back to you. Share this podcast with your friends, family. We'd love to hear from them and spread out the love. And a quick rundown of what we're going to go through tonight. We're going to talk about some MLB news. Of course, the Mets scratched their starter today, Jacob DeGrom. We're going to talk about Mookie Betts tying the record last night. We'll talk about some Yankees. Then we'll transition into some NBA stuff. Obviously, the seeding games end today. Uh, We'll have Connor Walsh on to talk about some hockey The NHL playoffs are now in full swing and some NFL news featuring the Giants and the Jets. And of course, some of the transactions that have been going on a big, big day for tight ends yesterday. So looking forward to it. All right, folks, fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. So MLB news, Uh, Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts uh, ties an MLB record last night with his sixth career three home run game against the San Diego Padres. The Dodgers are now 13 and seven, obviously Mookie coming over from the Red Sox in the off season. There is, you know, a couple issues with the original uh, transaction that took place. Kyle thoughts on Mookie Betts and his performance so far this season. Very impressive. He's an unbelievable player. I mean, that's why the Dodgers tried to acquire him and did acquire him in the off season, along with David Price, obviously he not playing, but Mookie Betts, you know, going into this season was arguably right behind Mike Trout as the best player. In all of baseball, he's arguably probably the number two right behind Trout at this point in time. He's an unbelievable player. We just saw him get a massive payday about a month ago, and you know he's well-deserving of it. Yes, it's a lot of money, but this is the stuff that he's capable of. Unbelievable batting average, can hit the ball out of the park, unbelievable outfielder. He's an all-around stud type of player. And this is, you know, it's ex- this type of performance is not expected, but it's not out of the question with Mookie Betts as, uh, as your right fielder. 100%. Uh, I know the Dodgers, they've had some issues with their rotation, obviously surrounding Clayton Kershaw and David Price not being available, but they have Walker Beeler, they have Dustin May, they have some guys that can give you some good innings, and so far they're 13-7, and seven, but that NL West is definitely very competitive. Uh, other news, James, 
the St. Louis Cardinals have only played five games so far this season because they were one of the teams that were hit with uh, COVID in their clubhouse. They're currently two and three, and this was just announced recently. They will resume play tomorrow in a doubleheader against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, wow. Thoughts on that? I personally, Tom, I knew it was some low number. I thought it was like closer to 10 games they played. I did not know it was only five games they played. So that's uh, that's a big yikes. Um, they have to good make to, a lot. Yeah, it's good to see them back on the field. Um, hopefully, they can stay healthy, and the teams that they play can stay healthy. Um, but other than that, realistically, they need to get moving. They can't. They got a lot of ground to make up. What Russo was saying, they can't be wasting time losing games. They want to be somewhat in this season out of a 60 game season, they got to start, they got to win when they're playing at least. hundred percent. You bring up a lot of good points there. I think another thing to keep in mind too, is that right now um, the St. Louis Cardinals, they're in an NL central that the Cubs have uh, been dominating so far. I'm pretty sure they have the best record in baseball. I think they're uh, 13 13 and three. Yeah. Uh, They've been really good. And um, obviously, they just beat the Milwaukee Brewers last night, the Brew Crew. Uh, I like what the Cubs got. Anthony Rizzo obviously has been a force. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they have a lot of good bats on their roster. Talking about some of the MLB season leaders so far, uh, Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber have both been very impressive in the American League. Uh, Bieber actually leads the MLB in strikeouts. Garrett Cole has not lost the game. Kyle, I know he's on the mound for the Yankees tonight. And uh, Randy Dobnak from the Minnesota Twins, uh, the MLB ERA leader under one ERA through four starts is very impressive for a man who's only 25 years old. Definitely. I mean, we've saw we've seen what this Twins team is capable of. We saw it last season, you know, the battle between the Yankees and the and the Twins, mostly between batting. But they've acquired some good pitching of uh, Randy Dobnak, uh, Kenta Mahata, uh, who they got from the Dodgers. Um in that blockbuster trade uh, back when the Dodgers traded away Mookie Betts and it was a three-team type of trade, uh, Kenta Mahata wound up going to the Twins, and he's having a great start to the season along with these bats that they got over there in Minnesota. Um, As a team, they're doing fantastic. I believe they sit at a record right now of 13-7 and or something like that. I believe they have that. I believe they have 13 wins, seven losses. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But they've also had a hot start to the season. I know they're winning the division right now. They're at the top. of the NL Central, but very, very nice to see from this team. I agree with you 100%. Very, very nice thing to see. Uh, and, of course, your man, Aaron Judge, uh, I believe he's still leading the MLB in home runs. He has nine. Fernando nine. Tatis Jr. is right behind him. Um, as we know, Senior played for the Mets. And... The MLB is exploring bubble possibilities for the playoffs. What do you guys think? Because right now it seems that there have been some teams that have been affected by uh, coronavirus. Other teams have been a little bit more lucky. Like I know, for instance, the Mets and the Braves have not really been affected, but other teams in the NL East have not been so lucky. Uh, Do we think a bubble is an appropriate idea, especially with the expanded playoff format put in place this year? They should have definitely looked into a bubble a while ago, but they were too, too much involved in trying to figure out how many games they were playing and what salary the players were getting and all that other garbage interfering with starting a season. 
um, a bubble I, that needs to happen. You look at the N- NBA and you look at the NHL right now, both in playoffs. Um, NHL, I think, for the an, another straight week, zero cases, zero positive tests. Great to hear. NBA, I believe it's almost the same thing. I haven't yeah. really heard anything about that. Um, so realistically, a bubble situation needs to work, and it needs to work where you have two stadiums within that same uh, the same city. All right, a little favoritism would be New York because you got Yankee and City Field. Use that, or you go out west. You know, you might have to find an area where you can you have two stadiums available to you, not where it's like in say one's in California, one's, I don't know, in uh, Texas. Mm. I think it needs to be a city that has two stadiums. Yep. I would have to agree with you, James. A bubble would be um, obviously an intelligent move, but to be quite honest with you, you know, excluding the Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals, the MLB, surprisingly, with the mass amount of travel which they've had, has been limited with the amount of COVID cases. St. Louis, I don't know if you guys heard about it, their team went out uh, to the casino, and that's why their numbers spiked in COVID cases. Yep. And the Marlins, we all know, they went clubbing uh, the night before the season even started, and that's why they had a spike in their cases. But outside of those two teams, it's been minimal effect upon these other teams. You know, obviously their games have been postponed, but in terms of their players getting sick, it hasn't happened. And I'm not mm. saying that a bubble wouldn't be an intelligent move. At Once they get to the playoffs, I think it should be instilled, but – in terms of the season right now, it's I don't really think they need it to be quite honest with you, surprisingly. Yeah, you know, I, I've kinda I've kind of thought about it and they've been doing okay. Like the season has not been canceled at this time. However, you know, there are still concerns looming. I think a bubble might be a decent idea, but I, I think this whole idea is overhyped at this point. I think the whole college football thing is overhyped, uh, just my opinion. But uh I don't necessarily think an MLB playoff bubble is necessary because if you play the whole season without it, I understand you're limiting the amount of teams players come into contact with, which I think is important. But at the same time, uh, you know, then you're playing all these new teams and it's not like, um, what, 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 what am I trying to say? You're playing the same team for a while. So it's not like they're going anymore, right? Just test everybody before test everybody during the series. And then if there's an outbreak, then, you have to pause the series, obviously, but uh, just the thought that I had, just, you know, be strict with the testing and I, a bubble is probably not necessary. I think the MLB has been focusing on the wrong things for the past few months. That's to say the least. Um, you know, some of the best records too. the MLB, the A's have been uh, very good so far, uh, despite the issue with Loriano and um, the Astros coach uh, Centrone. I, I think, you know, I, I, just think that the A's were um, maybe a player or two away from possibly upsetting the Yankees last postseason. I know the A's definitely have a very solid team. Uh, the Marlins, surprisingly, are 8-4. and four. I'm not too sure if that's going to last, though. I think it's – I don't want to come out and say it's been a fluke, but at the same time, they have been playing very well. They have a uh, good core of young, and they've brought in some veterans, some older players on that roster. I know Logan Forsyth has been doing some good work for them, um, and they're a very young, talented team. Um, obviously the Cubs and the Baltimore Orioles on a five game winning streak, guys, this, uh, this is 2020. This is the year 2020 where, uh, the unthinkable will happen. And right now the Baltimore Orioles 
five game win streak. This is uh, this is not a drill, folks. Not not a drill at all. And they're without Trey Mancini. Sitting at a record of uh, sitting at a record of ten and seven, it's it's definitely very impressive. I know when we were making predictions before the season even started, you know, we were joking around. Could this be um, one of the only teams to not even win ten games? And here they are, already <laughs> sitting at ten ten wins on the season in less than twenty games. So um, definitely an impressive start, I guess you'd say. Hopefully they keep it up just to keep it competitive over in the AL East. But definitely impressive considering where they stood last season, the season prior. Um, but they're playing a lot better. They are playing a lot better. Totally. Uh, so to some transactions that have taken place, the Cleveland Indians placed Mike Clevenger and Zach Plasek on the restricted list for breaking COVID-19 rules. Uh, Sunday, the club sent Plasek home. And Monday night, it announced that Clevenger was with him in the incident. Uh, this is, again, you know, the, these guys are grown men. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic here. I mean, you should be able to follow rules and regulations. It's kind of like, uh, I forget what sport it was. They said they're going to have somebody roaming around the halls of the hotel on away games. I think it was baseball. I'm like, you know, it's acting like this is a college team. Like before a Saturday morning afternoon college football game, you have to have a coach or an advisor roaming the halls on these guys that are, some of them are over 30 years old. Come on. You need a yep. babysitter practically. Like, apparently, apparently Clevenger, so he left the hotel. He didn't come back to like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And Police Act never came back to the hotel <laughs> after going out. So it's, it's, it's a joke. And, you know, my biggest thought with this is obviously, listen, you're putting yourself in danger more than anything. You're also putting your teammates in danger. But Carlos Carrasco, I don't know if you guys remember, just recovered from leukemia, came back towards the end of last season. Uh, this guy's a recovering cancer patient. And, you know, uh, as a higher risk type of person for your teammates to be doing some stuff like that, especially guys that you work with every day as, you know, play the same position as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. That's a scary thought to think that your teammate could do something like that. And they got on the plane as well. They didn't tell anybody. They got on the plane, didn't tell anybody. And, and you know, what a teammate, that was a high-risk patient. It's, um, it's very selfish. It's very unfortunate. It's, it's just a stupid and dumb situation in which they put themselves in and the team in. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely a uh, fair situation. Joe Kelly of the Dodgers placed on the 10 day IL on Tuesday, his suspension though was actually reduced to five games. So that's a good thing. Um, after winning his appeal, obviously he appealed the situation. Uh, and then a brawl of course took place. As I mentioned Centrone and Loriano were the catalysts of that. The penalty for Loriano was six games and Centrone got dealt a raw hand of 20. Uh, look, and I know this season, there's been a, a lot of, uh, you know, a pushback on players getting into these scuffles and stuff, especially with coronavirus and all this, you know, other nonsense. But right now, I, I mean, look, it's baseball. Things are going to happen. And, you know, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but 20 games is a lot. It's definitely a little excessive because you're only playing a 60 game season. So the fact that Joe Kelly got as many games as he did didn't make sense to me either. I mean, he realistically, would have only missed one start. Um, but look, uh, yeah, it shouldn't have been 20 games. I could see Loriano with the six, but Centrone with 20 for just instigating the situation. I don't, I don't see that as acceptable. Um, other news, uh, Madison Bumgarner is on the I.L., uh, Diamondbacks pitcher, longtime pitcher for the Giants. Andrew Benatendi of the Red Sox as well. 10-day IL. They've really been struggling. And then Tampa Bay loses Brendan McKay for 7 to 10 days with shoulder tightness. 
Uh, you know, so definitely a concern for the AL East. I know, Kyle, your Yankees, um, I know they had a couple seven-inning games uh, this past week. I don't know what you think about that with the doubleheaders. I know the Yankees kind of uh, struggled in those games, so uh, we'll break that down in a little bit. But any general thoughts on that seven-inning doubleheader rule? I think that it kind of put them in a bad situation because they were playing um, – there was one series in which they were playing – three games in the matter of in less than 24 hours they had a game on a saturday starting at two the game was over by five they started the next game of the doubleheader at seven and then they played another game at 12 o'clock that next day i mean three games guys in less than 24 hours that's a lot for any baseball player and that's when you start to see the injuries kind of stack on that's when Giancarlo Stanton got hurt and now he's on the 10-day il and so that's it's just not you know it kind of put them at fault uh, that's where they started packing on the losses, but just hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't happen anymore. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely been a rough situation for Stanton and the Yankees the last couple of years injury wise, but let's get to the Mets first. So of course, James, you Cespedes opts out, uh, not showing up typical. Uh, let's go through the analytics of his four year, $110 million deal. Why don't we? Uh, After reportedly going missing from the team, and fun fact, he posed for a picture with uh, two guys looked like in their 20s in the mall just a day later. Uh, Fun fact. That's nice. Uh, Not really fun, but, you know. uh, 127 games. Again, this is over four years. 127 games. Not even a full season. Over four years. 28 home runs. 28. 75 RBIs. 75 RBIs over a span of four years for a player that's making four a uh, four-year contract worth a hundred and ten million dollars. That's six figures. See, I don't know if you guys Horrible. remember of the show when Russo picked up the garbage can way back in the day when we were able to see each other face to face at the studio. I think you guys were talking Giants or something. Yeah. And he held it. I think it was like Odell, Eli argument. Maybe. I don't know. And he held up a garbage can in front of the Facebook live camera. If I had a garbage can close enough to me, I would have done the same thing. That's garbage numbers. Doesn't work. He's not worth that, that money. Believe me, a lot of other people are. Um, let alone... Uh, the way he handled the whole situation was playing the night before, not telling your team. Your team has to go to your hotel room or wherever you're staying at, find it empty, be like, the game starts in 30 minutes. We don't have sets. And then the fact that the next day he's out in the mall. Okay, that's fine. You know, everybody has to live their life. I get it. But then taking a picture with fans and saying, oh, I don't want to play anymore because of these other reasons. You're standing next to fans, complete strangers, complete strangers, instead of your teammates in the locker room that gets tested every other day, every week. Yeah. And you guys pretty much know where you're going after the game. They had issues, James. He didn't, he didn't want to play there. There was issues in the clubhouse. He, he just didn't, he just didn't want to play. There is no, no other way to put it. Those numbers uh, reflect one season. Yeah. You know, uh, he didn't play for two of them. Now, those numbers remind me of the numbers he had in 2015, which was pretty close, I think, to those numbers, give or take. But that's over how many seasons, you said? Four Four years. years. Four years. Basically didn't play three of those years, including this. This would be the third because he played what, like 
six, eight games. Maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Brody Van Wagden was his uh, agent when the deal was made, by the way. <laughs> Not a fun fact. That's our GM. Uh, okay. Let's get a little more crafty here. Marcus Stroman okay. opts out. Marcus Stroman opts out. Second Mets player to opt down on Monday, obviously for other reasons, but that's a second arm now down yep. in the Mets that was once referred to as stacked rotation uh, prior to Syndergaard going down with Tommy John. It's unfortunate uh, because he yeah. was injured, and then he decided to opt out. That puts you guys in a really bad situation because he's a free agent after this year. So you guys are going to have to – you yep. guys trade away your top two pitching prospects at the deadline last year, and now you got to make a contract decision on this guy this offseason. And now the Anthony K trade is starting to look a little ridiculous if the Mets don't re-sign him, a guy who yeah. played for you for half a season. Yeah. Um, Michael Waka, another starting pitcher in the starting rotation. Great. Out with right shoulder inflammation. You know, at this point, it's like you're reading a comic book when, when you're talking about the New York Mets. There's no other. I don't think there's a better way to put it. It's kind of like you're sitting there, you know, you're watching a baseball game I, without Gary, Keith and Ron. It would be very, very difficult to sit there and watch a full nine-inning Mets game. Because Gary, be- Keith and Ron, even though Keith Hernandez falls asleep half the time, they put life into Mets games. That's why they were voted as the best uh, broadcasting team. Yeah. They do a really good job of telling a story. I got to tell you that much. It would be super boring. I mean, you think now, Tom, imagine if this was a full season starting in late March, early April, how many injuries we would have by now. (laughs) (laughs) Russo's laughing at it, but guys, think about it. You're not wrong. No. You were not wrong. Um, another thing I have to bring up, uh, outside of Waka, Cano as well. It wouldn't be a typical Robinson Cano season if he doesn't hit the IL at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, Robinson Cano with a groin injury. So on Friday, Robert Zellman rejoins the team after missing nearly a year. Now the rotation stands as the Grom, Mats, Porcello, Peterson, and I guess Giselman. But tonight, Walker Lockett is going because the Grom just got scratched. Yeah. He uh, got scratched with uh, – he had a blister on, I think, his index fingers or his middle finger, one of the two. Yeah. Um, and then he also had neck. neck so yeah. he's day-to-day. I just watched his live press conference a little before we went live. He's day-to-day. I think he said he's throwing tomorrow. He'll see how he is. I believe he said for Monday. Um, don't quote us on that. But, yeah, that's the Queens of uh, – that's Queens. And the yeah, guys that you got, Matt's, I think he has an, what, like an eight ERA and Porcello oh, has like a spice. never liked Steven Matt's. He had, I'll be honest with you, he was good his first season. He, he was okay his first season, I thought. He started out well. Uh, not to mention he had three hits in his MLB debut as a pitcher. Yeah. I know his family was at it. Look, he's a good guy. Uh, I just don't like him as a part of this Mets rotation. Because only reason why he's still there, in my opinion, he's a lefty. And now yeah. you have David Peterson, who I think is a legitimate left-handed pitcher. Uh, now that we've seen it over four starts, we know what he's capable of. And last night, he only gave up one hit over five innings. I mean, that, the hit was a home run, but still, think about it, yeah. right? This guy could easily replace Steven Matz, easily. I mean, did you see Matz within, what, the first two innings? Yeah. Of the other night's game? Oh, he's 0-3 now on the year. Mets lost 16-4 to that game. Don't remind me on Monday night. 
uh, went four and a third. And then not to mention Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald comes in relief. What does he do? Six runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. Oh, my. It was so bad. Luis Guillorme, uh, backup position player, had to pitch the ninth inning. But um, who who do you think? I think we should add Hansel Robles back to this team. Hansel Robles, right now, the last I saw, he had an ERA over twelve. Perfect, he fits for the in. Team he's pitching for, yeah, he fits, <laughs> he fits in. in. Oh, let's hand out two to three year band aid deals. Let's go, J. Ruse Familia back on a three year deal. Oh. Love it, love it. Uh, Todd Frazier, two year deal, loved him, but you know, he wasn't there long term. He wasn't part of the long term solution. Uh, Michael yeah. Kadire, another one. Oh, you guys are forgetting the most important one the guy that you signed okay. to a two. No, the guy who signed to a two year deal that will probably never play a game for you guys, Jed Lowry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's supposed to be your third baseman. I, I also like how some of these starting pitchers, I forget who came out with it, says Matt's is looking really good this year. The 60-game season might do him really good. He's not doing good, James. Oh, I know that. I knew it from the get-go he wouldn't do good. He looked okay the first few innings of his first start. But let's go on. Uh, Tuesday, Porcello didn't look bad, and then he pitched a little better. Giselman made his first start of the season on Wednesday. Um the Mets hit three home runs in this game, 111-6. Nimmo, Alonzo, and Dom Smith all go deep. I'll tell you something. Dom Smith has been hitting great. I love the way he's been playing. He's getting the opportunity to start now with Cespedes opting out, with Cano on the IL. There's places for him to play, and I really love his production. But on the other hand, Pete Alonzo's production. Now he's starting to come out of it a little bit, but oh my, this guy was playing fishing, not baseball, the first month of the season. It just... He didn't look good, guys. Uh, he didn't look good at all. Striking out uh, one of the MLB leaders in strikeouts. Only three home runs so far. Uh, you know, I don't really like the way Alonzo's been playing. I know he's been doing a lot better this week. Um, but I got to tell you, man, Pete Alonzo has a lot of work to, has a lot of work to do the remainder of this season. He changed, his, he changed his swing. If you guys were paying attention to the games early in the season, they were comparing last season when he was hitting home runs to what he's doing now, and it doesn't even look like a natural swing anymore. It looks like he's trying to hit the ball out of the park every single time he gets up at bat. But you know, he was he is getting better. Last week he had a he, he had a batting average of like one ninety something, I believe. Yeah. He was he was bad. He's, he's getting better. Uh, yeah. Fun fact: my housemate JC, well, former housemate. Uh, actually worked with Michael Conforto over the offseason, and they changed his swing a little bit, changed his stance as well, and that's why I think you see Conforto hitting really well now because Cano, uh, not Cano, sorry, Conforto, good for extra base hits, good for 20, 30 home runs in a season. But his average was always lurking around the 250s, 260s, if you guys haven't noticed. Now he's hitting over 320, I believe. He's doing a real nice job so far this year. He's hitting 333 right now. Yeah. He's up there. Him and J.D. Davis have been hitting really well. I know J.D. Davis uh, slipped under 300 the other night, but he's still been hitting great. He's been one of the gems for the Mets. And Andres Jimenez as well has been a nice addition to this team, I think, personally. Um, The Mets quoted the shortstop job is for Rosario's to stay, but there could be an opening at second eventually over Cano, Hmm. uh, especially now with a DH in play. So building off of that, Last night, David Peterson takes the mound against the Nationals to close out a four-game series, right? Trying to 
tie the series. Peterson does great. The Mets win eight to two. Uh, Peterson improves to three and one on the season. I love the way he's been producing. I got to tell you, David Peterson, look, this is a very small sample size, so you can't just come out and say, you know, he's going to be a legitimate part of this rotation long term. But at least for this season, I think he's earned his grill as, you know, a back end starter in this rotation. He's looked a lot better than Mets. He's looked better than Porcello. And the only person he hasn't looked better than right now is the ground, to be honest with you. Uh, he looked good. Five innings, like I said, just one run and one hit. And Tomas Nito last night, guys, where did this come from? Uh, two home runs, six RBIs in one night. Uh, I got to tell you something. This game was actually yesterday afternoon, not last night. Uh, but Tomas Nito, backup catcher, man, uh, you know, he hasn't put up many numbers his first couple of seasons. Notorious. Lee Moore is a defensive-minded catcher as Wilson Ramos gives you the pop with his bat. But Tomas Nito, really, really, really good performance last night. Yeah, they might see interchangeable catchers at this point in time because even Ramos, Ramos is really struggling. He has a batting average below 200 right now, so he's not even giving you that offensive ability in which the Mets signed him for a couple years back on top of his defensive capabilities. But uh, definitely good to see. And Dom Smith hit his fourth home run of the season. I know Jeff McNeil was carted off the field after making a catch against the um, the warning track off the wall. I know his knee, he hurt his knee, uh, didn't look good. I'm not sure if it snapped out of place or not. I don't know if we have an update on him, but it didn't look good. Uh, hopefully he's okay. Um, you know, you don't want to make matters worse as a Mets fan, losing another guy in that lineup you have. But the Grom scratched from today's start with uh, like a blister on one of his fingers. And neck tightness, yeah. Right. So it was. it's crazy. An hour ago before we went live, there was no starter announced for either team for tonight's game. The Mets finally put out Walker Lockett. I don't know if the Phillies named a starter yet, but they're going to have to soon because we're approaching that two-hour mark. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, let me, let it's been me very check, interesting. Yeah. Spencer Howard is going to start for the Phillies tonight. Yeah, uh, that's that's a very under the radar guy. Uh, I don't know if he started before, but you know I've heard a few things about him. He has a couple good off speed pitches. Looking to see if this lineup, you know, two young guys tonight going out there. Uh, looking forward to it. And then, of course, we need to talk about Conforto. Our last thing here, he's reached base just about every game this season. He's been really impressive so far. He's been my personal MVP of this team. I know it's way too early to make a statement like that, but I, I just got to give him credit, man. Uh, you well, know, he's one of the, go ahead. He, he was at one time considered going to be the face of the Mets. I still, still my point. He still might be. He still might be. I still think he could be. Um, no. Yeah. He's, he's been there um, a long time out of the position players that are there. Uh, you know, and I think he's still a very young guy and he's improving year by year. Uh, he needs to get his average up a little more, which I think he's done a good job of doing yeah. so far this season. But let's transition to the Yankees. Kyle, your Yankees recall Clint Frazier on Tuesday due to Giancarlo Stanton, who will be out for three to four weeks with a grade one hamstring injury. I know Judge, home run leader. Over 20 RBIs on the year. He's been good. DJ LeMay, who has been solid with his bat, as always, he's hitting over 400. And Garrett Cole and Chad Green have been really good contributors for you guys. Uh, I thought they've 
done a nice job so far. Garrett Cole was kind of expected. Do you view Chad Green's early season stellar performances as a surprise? It's a little bit of a surprise, but I'm very, very happy that he's played the way he has, considering that they did lose Chapman uh, for about now. It's about 20 games into the season. They've lost Chapman for him, which he is the ninth inning type of guy. Um, losing Tommy Canely to Tommy John surgery. So depleting what the Yankees once had was one of their strong suits in which last season they were able to go four innings with a starting pitcher and complete the game out because of how deep that bullpen was. You know, they still have out of, you know, obviously they have Zach Britton, but using Zach Britton every single night as the ninth inning guy is going to hurt you. But having Chad Green in there has been fantastic for them. Like you said, Tom, Garrett Cole was expected to play this well. Four games started, three wins out of those four games. He has a 320 ERA, so not the greatest, but he does have, I believe, 24 strikeouts, I want to say. I want to say that's the number. So about six, six and a half strikeouts per game. Can't complain with that uh, number at all. Um, but definitely very impressive. But besides that stretch with Philadelphia, uh, where the game was postponed earlier in the season, and now with Tampa playing those doubleheader games, the Yankees have looked like a fantastic team so far this season. Yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. agree. It's been a it's been a very good start for the Yankees. I know Tanaka's back, which is good. I know he's been back for a little bit now. Uh, Montgomery recently got called back up, and then Hap. How has he been? I, you know, I haven't looked too much into him. He's been he's been okay. Um, they called Jordan Montgomery back up. He, I think it was either his first or second start. He got absolutely slammed. I think he pitched about one inning and let up like five runs in the first inning, some number like that. He got he got shell shocked. But J.A. Happ, he has not been good either. He has not been good. He's played in two games. He started two games. His ERA sits at a ten right now. He's not. He's been that pitcher that I feared that never that I did not want to touch the ball, and he has unfortunately due to injuries. You know, Masahiro Tanaka coming back late, uh, injuries to the bullpen, but um. You know, they still stand at a solid record right now. I believe they stand at 12-6 and six, uh, as they go on to play uh, Boston tonight. I believe they just won the series against Atlanta over the past couple of days, those two game, ser- uh, two game series. Um, but hopefully they get healthier. You know, they're getting Chapman back. Tommy Canley is going to hurt. That's, that's going to hurt because he, he was playing absolutely incredible when he was playing this season. Um, but they're, they're, they just got to keep on doing what they're doing. If they keep on producing the numbers on the offensive side of the ball, They'll be fine. And what the bullpen is giving them, they'll be fine. They just got to keep on producing those numbers on the offensive side of the ball. Right. And which they've been very good at over the last few years. So I'm I'm very confident the Yankees are going to finish towards the top of the American League once again. Zach Britton's been a good closer for you guys in uh, relief of Chapman with uh, his situation, getting his sixth save this week. Luke Voigt's been very impressive as well. The Yankees really did a good job, I think, personally, taking care of the Braves this week. Um, I know Judge missed the game due to lower body tightness, but overall I think they've looked good so far. Kyle, no complaints. Um, Gio Urshela has been pretty solid, I think, Yeah, um, especially with his glove. I really like what he brings to the team. And uh, Cole looks to stay unbeaten tonight um, against Red Sox pitcher Colton Brewer, who is making his first career MLB start Colton Brewer. Remember that name. Not the uh, not the team you want to face uh, to start your career for sure, especially the way their bats uh, play one through nine. But uh, definitely going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, Garrett Cole, like I said, he's been playing 
is he has been playing as that Cy Young type of pitcher that we saw last season, the battle between him and Verlander. Um, but he's getting the job done, and that's all you could ask, considering that last season the Yankees were in a cluster looking for a guy who's going to get you that win, and that season it's been Garrett Cole. He's been that guy, and he would have four wins. Um, one of the games in which he started, he played in a doubleheader, but he didn't, due to the seventh inning rule, he didn't play enough innings to get the win. So, But he would have four, but um, definitely been a consistent pitcher, definitely been a fantastic asset for this team, and hopefully continues that. All solid points, Kyle. I think that the Yankees right now are in a really good spot. Uh, playing the Boston Red Sox, though, there's nothing uh, better than that. Yankees-Red Sox, bad rivalry. Uh, well, great rivalry, I should say, but two teams that hate each other, always out for bad blood. Let's transition to some NBA news. Of course, uh, we know that the bubble is about to burst as the seeding games are done tonight. Uh, the final games take place tonight, and we know as of last night, uh, the Western Conference play-in round will be the Portland Trailblazers against the Memphis Grizzlies. The Trailblazers beat the Nets by one point, 134-133. Dame Lillard went off in this series. He's been putting up like 50 points a game. He had 61 the other night. Uh, the Trailblazers clinched the eighth seed, and the Suns were eliminated from the NBA playoffs despite going 8-0 and in the Orlando bubble. What a shame for Phoenix. They definitely had a great performance. Devin Booker was going off in the series, so... It's a shame, but congrats to Portland and Memphis. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, watching that game last night, the Brooklyn game, Portland game, I'm a major Damian Lillard fan, but for Devin Booker, first time in the playoffs considerably, uh, just the numbers that he was putting up consistently, going 8-0 and still not making it. And it went down to the final seconds in that game. Karis LeVert has the ball for Brooklyn on the offensive side, misses a shot with less than – Five seconds left. That ball goes in. Portland loses, and the Suns are in. And we're not talking about Portland today. We're talking about the Phoenix Suns going eight and zero and yep. being in the playoffs. But um, listen, they got their team and their names heard. You know, going into next season, being a team in a in a in a playoff round, and they listen. They didn't lose against. They didn't win against scrub teams either. They played some of the best <laughs> of the best. Wins against uh, Philly, Dallas. OKC, the Heat, Dallas, um, I think too. the Clippers as well. They they won against some of the best teams that were in this bubble format, you know? So they definitely they got their names heard and they definitely did a fantastic job. Really a shame that they weren't able to make it though. They're a team too that's on the rise. They were they were missing Aaron Baines and they were missing Kelly Oubre, right? Those are two guys that are consistent role players for them. Now I look at this team, Phoenix, and I look at two young stars, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. This is the future of their team. They have a veteran point guard in Ricky Rubio. Excellent uh you know, playmaker that plays defense. And you have um, solid role players as well, like Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, as I just said. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is there too. The Western Conference is just too stacked. You look at this Portland team, they went 6-2 and two in the bubble. I know Brooklyn gave it their all. I know Devin Booker actually called Tyler Johnson, his former teammate, asking a uh, former Heat player as well, asking, you know, you guys are going to give it your all tonight, right? And, you know, they tried. But, man, I feel bad. As we're talking about the West here, Devin Booker, in my opinion, he, him and Damian Lillard, it's a toss-up between them two uh, for the player of the seeding games. I know T.J. Warren obviously has to be mentioned as well. I think those are really your top three. Yeah, uh, Not yeah. really impressed with LeBron and AD, their performances in the bubble. 
they kind of played down a little bit to their opponents, I thought. Uh, I know you're trying to rest your big-time players, but it's also important to play consistent. I think Milwaukee was another team I was somewhat disappointed by, not to mention Giannis headbutting Mo Wagner, which that action could could have been uh, what led to Memphis getting into the playoffs over Phoenix. If Giannis, I mean, we don't know how many minutes Giannis would have played last night, but Memphis did beat Milwaukee to earn their way. Yep. Even without Giannis, you're still playing the best team in the Eastern Conference, the best team based off of record in the NBA. Did yep. they ever find Giannis, or did they just suspend them for a game? Suspend them for one game. Uh, I, I uh, think he, okay. Yeah, no. It, uh, look, it was hard to tell if it was – I mean, it, I mean, listen, like, it was It was intentional. It, it, was, in, it was. It was. Yeah. Doing. But it was intentional. It was a uh, he shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. I, yeah. It was a it was a boneheaded move, to say the least. And look, I'm not the biggest Mo Wagner fan, but uh, look, Giannis needs to keep his cool. Lately, he's been uh, a little wild out there. Keep your emotions in check, especially you're in a bubble, seeing these guys probably in the hallway every day. Lucky he didn't get suspended into the uh, actual playoffs themselves. You know, yeah, getting a break with one game. Because they have to play Orlando, the eighth seed. Yeah, but yeah. the game I was impressed most by in the seeding games was definitely uh, Portland against Dallas on Tuesday night. C.J. McCollum obviously playing with a fractured back. Uh, fun fact, and Dame goes off for sixty-one points. Yeah, in my opinion, Portland should have been seven and one in this bubble, but Damian Lillard missed two free throws that made them lose a game against the Clippers. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm looking at this right now. Portland is scary. If I'm the Lakers, I am really scared of Portland because yep. you're again, you're basically starting a new season. And outside of LeBron and AD, I don't think the Lakers have great depth considering to what Portland has. Yes, you still have Kyle Kuzma, you have Dwight Howard, uh, JaVale McGee is a great center, and you know, of course, Danny Green. But Portland has Carmelo Anthony as their fourth option. Behind CJ Dame and Nurkic, and he's accepted Zach that Collins. role exactly. And you have Gary Trent, who's been going off in a bubble. He's been very good off the bench. Hassan Whiteside is now coming off the bench as well. So you have Whiteside and Nurkic between the two of them. Um, you know, I, I I would take that combo over Davis and McGee. Um, Debatable, but uh, as Kyle is uh, smiling there, uh, <laughs> I mean, no you're going to give up Anthony Davis. You're going to give up what? You're going to give up 27 points a game for Hassan Whiteside? I don't. I mean, maybe from the defensive side of the ball, maybe, but you can't replace that type of offense. But um, Portland is definitely a good team, Tom. I know you were talking about it. If if Portland does, which now they uh, now they would, are they facing the Lakers in the first round? Or if no, they win, they will. If they win, they will. So that Portland, would be. An, Eighth seed, they're up one nothing. They're they have to play Memphis. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're up one nothing because okay. so yeah, it's not really a best of three. The way it is, if Portland wins one game, they advance. Memphis has to win both games to advance. Gotcha. That's basically what it is because uh, okay. the eighth seed is up one nothing. That was part of the rule. I know it was a little confusing, but. You know, I got to tell you, Memphis, they were impressive last night. Valanchunas had a triple-double. Again, he's kind of the forgotten man, part of that Toronto team, the upbringing of that Toronto team. 26 points, 19 rebounds, and 12 assists. 12 assists from the center position. Uh, And Dylan Brooks had 31 points. Did Memphis earn their way in? Yes. 
but they had a very raw end of the deal as part of to what all the teams they were playing against. Um, if they if they play the Lakers, with all due respect to Dylan Brooks and John Morant, there's a good chance they get swept. They might win a game, but there's a really good chance they get swept by the Lakers. Portland, on the other hand, I think they could win a game or two against the yeah. Lakers. At yeah, least absolutely. one, at least. It will be. It'll have to be another offensive shootout. You're going to have to see Dame put up another 40 point game, something like that, just because they're gonna, the Lakers. They're going to eliminate the drive game completely, especially Damian Lillard standing at a six three point guard. And for some reason, I, and I say this all the time, I just now knowing CJ McCollum has a fractured back, I, I was unaware of that. For some reason, they can't play on the same night as each other. They they either one guy has the best night of his life and the other one doesn't. Or vice versa. Damian Lillard drops 41 points. Yes, C.J. McCollum had 25 points last night, but he shot horribly from the field. And I believe he went 0 for 6 from the three-point line last night. And that's why having Carmelo Anthony is very important. A lot of people are like, oh, Portland is back at full strength. I know one of my friends was telling me Portland has their whole team now. No, they don't. They're still without Rodney Hood. That's a big out for the whole season. That's a big, big big loss for them because if he was there – then there's a good chance either him or Mello, probably Hood, because Mello started most of the season. Hood would come off the bench. Now you're adding Hood, Trent, Whiteside, Mario Hazonia, who's played decently well. Uh, I know Simons gets a, a few games in here and there. I know he doesn't play every game, but he's improving. Mm-hmm. Uh, other notes we got to talk about. Oh, and by the way, for the record, I think Portland would beat the following teams in a best of seven. Dallas. Utah, Oklahoma City, and Houston. I think they would beat all four of those teams. I don't think they would beat Denver this year. I don't think they would beat either of the L.A. teams. Right now, I think Portland is the fourth best team in the West. I think it's definitely a it's definitely an argument to be made, especially because they missed Nurkic for most of the season. Now having his presence back on the court and what he could do, obviously, as a, as a big center in this league, definitely a, a versatile center as well. He's pretty mobile for a guy of his size. Uh rebounds easily a double double machine um i would give you houston i would give you houston i'd give you utah low-key okc is there's something up with okc that for some reason they're just they're playing on a level in which nobody expected you know obviously losing paul george and russell westbrook in the same offseason and somehow still being even in this playoff discussion is is pretty insane and just the way they've been playing in the bubble they, they play pretty well. I like I like Shy Gilgis, Alexander, Chris Paul. You know he can still play even as a 35, 36 year old point guard in this league. Uh, Stephen Adams, uh, Dennis Schroeder. They got a decent team put together. But Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard. You know besides besides Steph Curry at the point guard position, maybe even better as an overall point guard. Damian Lillard might be the best player at his position in the entire NBA. There's a there's a real argument for that because he shoots more efficiently than most players in this league, hands down, on top of the fact his clutchness factor, his defensive factor at his size, because usually a guy of his size is not really a defensive, more of a defensive liability than which he is. He's not. And just the way he plays, you know, the, the chip on his shoulder, he, he's just an unbelievable player. You know, he, the, the truth of the matter is that Portland, like you said, Tom, you know, talking about other these, any of these other teams in which you think they have a shot in, there's really even no argument to be made because of the fact that with Damian Lillard on your team, it's been proven that you have a shot in almost every single game that you play. Are you going to come out victorious at the end of it? 
maybe not, but they could definitely grab a couple games, no doubt, with Damian Lillard on the squad. I would agree. I know the Jazz were awful in the bubble. I know they were horrible. without yeah. Boyan Bogdanovich, who was uh, you know, a very key piece for them. The Lakers went three and five in the bubble. A lot of the playoff teams were resting their starters. Uh, but I think the man. biggest thing we took from this bubble is that the San Antonio Spurs 22-year playoff streak has officially come to an end. And if you watch the interview with Greg Popovich, it was kind of hysterical. because <laughs> He's sitting there like, where were you guys during the streak? Yeah. But he, he was obviously joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, great dynasty. I know. Uh, I don't think Tim Duncan could be there. Um, but, you know, having him as an assistant, Becky Hammond, they have a lot of good coaches on that team, veterans and DeRozan and Aldridge, a good young core uh, as well. Um, but, look, at the end of the day, the West is very, very stacked. I think if the Spurs were in the East, they probably would have made it uh, yeah. with who they have. But the West is just, look, it's very hard. It's very, very biased. I mean, everyone's called for the one through 16 format across the whole league for a while now, which, I mean, it's hard. It's hard because there's pros and cons to both. Uh, yeah. That being said, we'll talk about the East quick. Kyle, your Heat are playing the Indiana Pacers for the four seed live right now. The winner of this game gets the four seed in the East. And right now the Pacers are leading 32 to 18. Uh, what has happened with your Miami Heat in this bubble? I know you haven't had none, but uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, they didn't have Bam and none for the first couple games because they both came back late due to covid I know Jimmy missed a couple games. Um, I think Jay Crowder has missed a couple games as well. Like tonight, the Heat, if you look at their starting lineup for tonight's game, I don't know if guys are hurt or Spolstra's just resting guys, but basically the entire starting lineup is not playing tonight in this game against the Pacers. You have no Jimmy, no Bam. You have none. You have Hero. You're... You're starting Udonis Haslam right now. That's who they're starting. So they, I, they, I don't think that they care about this game necessarily. Maybe they should, but at the end of the day, a fourth and a fifth seed, uh, a fourth seed right now. You know, in this playoff scenario, does it matter? Because there is no such thing as home field advantage. I'm not saying this is the right tactic, but you're resting your starters so that they play at their full strength. You know, the Pacers are playing their starters right now. The Heat are not. You're missing Jimmy and Bam. That's your two top scorers for your team. That's 21 points and that's 16 points with 10 rebounds you're missing right there with this indiana team and i know indiana uh they're missing tj warren he's probably going to be done for the rest of the playoff scenario he has uh plantar fasciitis in his foot so there's no timetable return on that but i just you know based on that you're starting udonis haslam i mean they i don't think they really care about this game to be quite honest with you well we'll see we'll see yeah. because i mean I don't think it matters much because they're going to be playing them regardless. It doesn't really affect them. It just affects their seeding, which, yeah. doesn't, which doesn't really mean anything because there's no fans and there's no, you don't have to travel. But regardless, the Brooklyn Nets surprisingly have been very impressive in this bubble. They, they went six yeah. and two. Uh, well, five and three, I think actually, because they lost by one point to Portland, but these were a bunch of nobodies. I know, uh, Tyler Johnson and um, that carrot guy 
Um, and Justin Anderson, a lot of these guys, Lance Thomas, they were just signed off the street and they thought they put a decent squad together. Uh, considering a lot of their guys, you know, opted out because of the virus. And I thought they were very good and they're going to advance to the playoffs as the number seven seed and play the Toronto Raptors. Um, I don't think they're going to win the series, but I, I do think this is a positive outlook to Brooklyn, especially heading into next year. You have a lot of options of guys you can play with Irving and Durant. Yeah. Um, I think Brooklyn is definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with next year in the Eastern Conference. They obviously have a, a few, deci- few decisions to make if Joe Harris will return. That's the biggest one, in my opinion, right now, because uh, I, I think if you bring him back, you're pretty set. Uh, but we'll see. We'll, we will see what happens with uh, Brooklyn. I, I really like what I've seen from them for sure. Um, the Celtics lost yesterday to the Wizards, but Boston obviously they've they've been really good. They earned the three seed. I thought they've had a good performance in the bubble, and uh, the way it'll go is the East. It'll be Milwaukee, Toronto in chronological order, Boston. The winner of this Heat and Pacers game and the loser will be the five. Six will be, oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank? Philadelphia without Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. And the seven will be Brooklyn. And the eight will be Orlando without Jonathan Isaac. So they will be a man down there. And now Mo Bamba's out as well. He's oh, out as well. That's a big loss too. He's done for the rest of the series. That's your backup center. That's yeah. your backup center. Um, and then the West, you have both LA's Lakers, then the Clippers, the Nuggets, followed by the Rockets, then the Thunder, then the Jazz, um, and then the seven, you have the Mavericks, and then the eighth will be Portland against the ninth, Memphis. So that will be very interesting. Uh, Pacers TJ Warren has missed the last game with a plantar fasciitis injury. Uh, hopefully he's back for the playoffs. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Is he? I don't think he's playing today either. No, uh, he's not playing today. Yeah, they probably have Doug McDermott starting in his place um, or one of their big front court guys. He was the first one I thought of because he played for the Knicks. Um, and then Ben Simmons, obviously, for the Sixers, out for the season. How does this affect them and their playoff chances? I think the Celtics win in five games. I think it's pretty yeah. Uh, yeah. cutthroat right now. Tatum. Walker, Brown, Hayward. Uh, these guys are good. Smart. Uh, Tice, Smart, Cantor. A lot of playoff experience. So I think Boston will advance. And I'll be honest with you, I think when Boston meets Toronto in the 2-3 matchup in the second round, it's going to be very tough to, um, to pick because you have two great young head coaches. I thought Toronto got better this year because Spicy P has improved. You have Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh OJ Anubi's been great. Norman Powell's stepped up. He's done a good job. It's going to be very, very difficult. But Fred VanVleet has really stepped up into the starting position. Starts now over Danny Green, who is now in LA. Yeah. So my thing is this, right? Uh, do you go with Boston or do you go with Toronto? Because on paper, I think Boston has the better roster. But Nick Nurse is a fantastic coach. I mean, I, that's the series that's going to, you know, really. It's going to come down to the wire. That'll be a six, seven game series for sure. It'll be neck and neck throughout. We'll have to see seven games. Yeah. Um, and then the Bucks potentially against the Heat in round two would be interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
All right. And if the NBA announced that uh, there will be a player of the seeding games and um, an all seeding games team as well. And NBA players will be allowed to bring up four family members or close friends into the bubble after the first round. So when there's only eight teams left. Good idea? Bad idea? Indifferent? I mean, it's it's rough because the NBA players, you know, you haven't heard many complaints. They've already been now a month and a half without these close family members. By the time the after the first round is over, it's probably going to be what's today? Today's August 14th. It's probably like going to be towards September. No, it'll be like the beginning of September. So you're yeah. going two months without your family. Uh, I think this is a good rule, but they're it's a big risk anytime you, you're bringing a bunch of – for each and every NBA player, you get to bring in four close family members. That's a lot to bring in considering it took – when they came in July, it took about two, three weeks for them to fully get cleared with the entire bubble situation with no COVID cases whatsoever. Yeah. That's definitely a big risk, but I can't knock on it. To be without your family for two months, that's, that's a major sacrifice in which these players have made. I agree 100%. Yeah. It's been very challenging for these players to go without, and that's why you see, you know, some of these uh, restrictions are being broke, which is never a good thing. Uh, so we talked about the matchups, and then, of course, we know Russell Westbrook will miss part of the series against his former team. This is critical for Russell Westbrook going against his former team. Will he be back for some of the games of the series that is still left to be determined, unknown right now? Which I think weighs in the advantage of Oklahoma City. And I'm really intrigued to hear about the game tonight between OKC and the L.A. Clippers. I don't know how many uh, you know, of the big-name guys the Clippers will be playing, but uh, Oklahoma City, as you mentioned, Kyle, has been very impressive. Uh, of course, today Toronto beat Denver 117-109, to and then Houston will play Philadelphia tonight to wrap up the seeding games, and then tomorrow – at 2.30 p.m. on ABC, it'll be Memphis against Portland for game one. Um, and then game two will be on Sunday. So only two games will be played between Memphis and Portland. Remember, Memphis has to win both. Portland only has to win one. Um, some of the latest NBA transactions before we bring our guest, Connor Walsh, on here, who's going to talk about hockey. We'll get there in just a couple of moments. Um Knicks hire Kenny Payne to be the assistant head coach to Tom Thibodeau. He is a former assistant coach at Kentucky. I think this benefits a player like Kevin Knox substantially, uh, a guy who the Knicks are really, really trying to develop. And they have Mike Woodson now as a part of their staff as well. His role is still left to be determined. Nothing's been announced yet. But Kenny Payne is reportedly the top assistant uh, Mike Miller is still out there. I know we had Paul Lombardi on the show to talk about this a couple weeks ago. Um, it's going to be very, very challenging to see how Thibodeau puts this staff together, especially during this interesting time, for sure. It's a good uh, staff, though. It's though. I, I think he's a good choice. I think he's a It's good a good staff. You know, you get some uh, developmental process, especially, you know, they the Knicks spent, um, what was it? It was an eighth overall pick on Kevin Knox two years ago or a year ago, that's a, that's a lot of value. You bring in a Kentucky guy who could potentially help him out, develop into a player, a decent player. We know what Thibodeau brings to the table. Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson. Wasn't Mike Woodson the head coach of the Knicks the last time they made the playoffs? 
So that's you're bringing in a familiar face that got you into that playoff atmosphere back in 2013, I want to say. They they got a decent coaching staff put together. Now they just got to help their players grow and develop. That's that's about it. It's 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 blatant. They just got to help. They really got to work on that. Totally. I I agree 100 percent. It's going to take a couple of years before they become relevant, in my opinion, as far as the postseason is concerned. Um, and then the Chicago Bulls fire their head coach, Jim Boylan, today after two years, went 39 and 84 in his tenure. I mean, the, the listen, he he wasn't a great coach. You heard a lot of rumors about him, speculation about him coming from the locker room that the players weren't necessarily on his side. They weren't really necessarily playing for him. But at the same time, you can't blame him because the Bulls have been one of the most injury-plagued teams over the course of these last two years with Lori Markin going in and out of the lineup, Wendell Carter Jr. going in and out of the lineup. Um, There's a lot of injuries to this team, and that's probably why he stands at the record in which they do. I agree, and I I would really like to see Kenny Atkinson get this job. I'd really like to see Kenny Atkinson get this job. I think he deserves it out of all the candidates. I think he's the best candidate. I know uh, Ime Udoka's name was brought up as well, but I really think Kenny Atkinson should get this job. Uh, it's an Easter conference job. You know, he's familiar with a couple of the players. You have a good young core in Laurie Markinen and Zach Levine there already uh, and Kobe White as well. So I'm excited for the Bulls in their future. I just hope Laurie Markinen and Zach Levine's prime years aren't, uh, you know, brought up to waste because they're really talented players. Zach Levine is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I think he's a top 20 player, top 25 player maybe. Uh, excellent shooter, and the Bulls just don't have that good coach in place. They don't have the best su- supporting cast right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all due respect to their team. All right, so at this time, we're going to switch over to hockey. Halfway through the show now, we've approached the 5 o'clock hour as we welcome our guest, Connor Walsh, to the show. Connor, hello. How's it going? Doing good. How about you? Well, uh, getting uh, fighting a... Uh some allergies here so you know that's always fun old nasally always fun, but hanging in there hanging in there enjoying some playoff hockey i know uh probably didn't enjoy the last bruins game the other night but uh man i gotta tell you something those 12 seeds those 12 seeds montreal up for nothing yeah uh they're uh Anytime you have a goalie like Carey Price, you have the ability to steal uh, a series and some games, and he's kept them into everything so far. Uh, they ended up knocking out Pittsburgh, who just had some real interesting goaltending controversy. They didn't know who to play, someone who played really well throughout the season or someone uh, who had the experience, and uh, the Canadians just uh, stuck to their game. Very simple, and uh, ended up winning that, that series largely in part due to Carey Price, and now He's doing it to the Flyers. Uh, everyone was talking about how good they were. They beat everyone in the round robin, and then they come in, they win game one, and it was uh, looking like, ah, oh, this is probably going to be the same thing. Gary Price might not be able to battle them out this time, but here they are, back again, playing their game, more their style. Gary Price is phenomenal. Uh, their coach actually just went, uh, Montreal's coach, Claude Julien, just got sent back to Quebec uh, for, uh, he had a heart surgery, a stint placed in his uh, coronary arteries. Wow. So they're playing with other coach. I'm sure they're playing with a lot of motion tonight. Uh, interesting stuff. That's right. They will be playing with uh, Kirk Muller, who will step up as the interim head coach at this time, Connor. Um, all right. 
I don't want to talk about this, but we kind of have to talk about it. The New York Rangers were swept by the Carolina Hurricanes as, well, I don't think you predicted the sweep, but you predicted the series win for Carolina. Um, So now it's up to to you to eliminate them. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it was it was unfortunate to see uh, Henrik Lundqvist uh, get bullied like that. Very sad. It's a legend in New York. What a. What a what a talented player! What a career he's had, but I think that was his last game in the Rangers uniform. Sadly, um, Carolina, uh, all four lines were rolling. They had more depth. They had everyone coming back healthy. Uh, Rob Brindamore is an exceptional coach. When he wants to get the most out of people, especially during the playoffs, he can. And uh, the Rangers, just uh, everyone was really uh, big on the Rangers. Uh, they had some really nice win streaks when they got uh, Igor there uh, in the lineup. But, again, I only saw one line producing. Another line was kind of supporting. And uh, in the end, uh, that's really what did it is the depth. I think they have a bright future, an exceptional future, really. But, you know, this year just wasn't their year. The depth just wasn't there. Yeah, well, you know, there was a silver lining and everything. It wasn't a great series. I mean, I think the Rangers put in a lot of effort. It just wasn't meant to be. Carolina was the better team. They were the better team. Sebastian Ajo has been going off so far. Uh, uh, honestly, I the best, yeah, honestly, I thought the best player in that series was uh, Svechnikov. Svechnikov, yeah. some games he had. He was physical. He uh, found the back of the net. He found people open. Just he looked like he was dominating that series, and in uh, game two of Boston Carolina, he dominated Boston for that whole second game. Physical, getting under people's skin, finding people open on the power play. Tuve, uh, Tuvo Teravainen just absolutely picked Rask, and then he picked Rask a few minutes later. Just uh, an exceptional young talent. So my next question to you, my last one on the Rangers is this: uh, So Alexis Lafreniere. Number one overall pick. Uh, he's uh, an extremely talented young player who has an NHL ready frame. I think, if I'm correct, he's about six one and 192 ish pounds. Yeah, he has the skill set already to play at that level. Um, some concern about his defensive ability uh, in terms of adjusting to the NHL, but that's with any young player coming into the NHL uh, learning the nuances of uh losing your man in the in your own end it'll it'll bite you pretty fast in the nhl um i think that he has uh, a similar style in terms of how physical he is and where he likes to play getting down in front of the net being below the goal line playing in the corners um he likes to hit a lot like uh i would say like alex ovechkin um but he has a little more uh skill he's not so much sandpaper uh He's uh, more of a pass first. He plays with a lot of skill similarly to uh, David Pasternak. Um, He's more of a pass first kind of guy, but uh, he's going to be a generational player. Very, very talented. This is also extremely heavy uh, with prospects. So... Yeah, really Connor. Play. With that being with that being said, Lafreniere personally, I believe it's it's a guaranteed he's going to go to the yeah. Rangers. But where does he where does he fit in a team full of wingers? You have Panarin, you have Kreider, you have Kako, the number two overall pick in last year. You have Pavel Buchnevich. You know this is your number one overall pick. What line do you even put him on? Um, 
he's 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 young. He's coming to the NHL, and I I would put him as a middle six forward. So he's going to play on your second or third line, someone there. You don't want to put him on your fourth line. He doesn't play that style. He's not out there just for energy. Uh, but I would definitely put him on uh, your second or third line. Uh, he fits in on the wing next to somebody, hopefully a center, a little with us, a little more maturity. Um, obviously, the Rangers have you know Mika Zibanejad. Oh my gosh, I don't even know who their second line center is. Couldn't even tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't think you guys know either. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's not ideal. But um, on a team full of wings, that's a great. Oh, Heedle, Heedle, Heedle is their second line center. Philip Heedle. Oh, he's yeah. also very young. You know, it's not ideal for what you want for a player like him to have a little uh, maturity in the middle. But uh, yeah, I would uh, place him on uh, your third line wing and let him go up and down the lineup. Let him see the power play. Let him be in front of the net. Let him do the things that he's good at. But also, you want to shelter him. You don't want him to play against unfavorable matchups. Matchups. You don't need uh, Alexis Lafreniere uh, playing against uh, Shea Weber, against Zdeno Chara, against Drew Doughty, against big physical Victor Hedman. You don't need him playing against the, those top two pairings night in and night out at that age. I wouldn't so. recommend it. Right. Obviously, it's going to be a process for him. But um, my next question to you is more geared towards off the qualifying rounds. That just happened. Um, We talked about we briefly talked about Montreal uh, upsetting. uh, I believe they upset Pittsburgh. Uh, What about the other series? Uh, The Oilers getting upset by the Chicago Blackhawks. So. In a similar sense, I believe that Pittsburgh's very top-heavy, and in Crosby and Malkin, their defense is okay at best. I wouldn't say they're very great. Chris Letang is really the only notable guy back there that uh, does much. Um, and in the same case for for Edmonton, their depth kind of for their forwards really stops with with uh, Drysaddle and McDavid. They're extremely talented, and you can put anyone with them, and they can make them look good, but. When uh, it comes to the playoffs, they have no one battle-tested on that team. No one's been to the Stanley Cup final that I can think of that's on that roster. Um, nobody's won one, at least that I know, and that's on that roster. Um, it's just uh, Chicago, uh, they knew what they wanted to do in the playoffs. They knew what they had to take away, and they did it. They, they stuck to their game plan. They uh, tried to stay out of the box the best they could, and when they didn't, you saw what happened. Drysaddle and McDavid bit them, bit them hard. But uh, Corey Crawford... Uh, Played exceptional again uh, for the underdog there. Um, he's uh, had playoff success. I believe he has two cups. Um, Taves, Kane, and Keith were all there for all three cups. Uh, they brought Sad back. I'm pretty sure was there for two of them. Um, just uh, a lot of maturity in that locker room. A lot of guys that have been there and done it. And uh, I don't think that the Oilers were particularly ready. And I think that not having a crowd there definitely didn't help them. Well, Edmonton right. specifically, where they faltered, I mean, the coaching was horrible. The coaching was, first off, that was terrible. But the goalie situation, on was top even, of that, putting in Mike Smith to start the series when Miko Koskinen was, first off, the better goalie you know, throughout the year. Yeah. And starting Mike Smith, he got shell shot. I believe he gave up like five goals in, in the first about, game. In the first game, putting in Koskinen, he was horrible over the course of the uh, I believe the series went four games, so he started the next three games. He wasn't good either. They that's really where they faltered. You know, the offense the offense showed obviously top heavy having dry saddle. You have two hundred point guys, or you at least you know they're capable of that. But at that point, that's where it stops. And the defense especially as well. 
no defense, no defenseman whatsoever. Maybe Darnell Nurse is probably the best defenseman at this point. Adam Larson, maybe potentially. Oscar Clefbaum, maybe. I don't yeah, know. It's, maybe. Really a, it's really a toss up. All three of those guys are about the same mid tier defensemen. They're not elite by any means. Yep. And yeah. uh, as far as the goaltending, uh, Dave Tippett, I think he went with the, 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 the goalie he knew the best in Mike Smith. He had him in Arizona. They went to the conference final and lost to LA. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think he went with the, the, who he thought was going to have more experience and would settle in for the team. And he just looked shaky. Uh, I think the first goal was uh, from below the goal line, shot off his, uh, his ass cheek and in the net. And uh, from there, it uh, just looked like he was a little rattled. And uh, for Chicago, uh, there that young forward, uh, I can't even say his first name. I, I don't remember what it is. Kubalik, I believe. He had five points ever in his first playoff game. What, exceptional. Just what, what a talent. What a, what a game for him. Uh, just unbelievable. So now we talk about Tampa Bay and their series against Columbus. So a rematch of last year. Uh, we know Tampa Bay was not very prepared for Columbus last year. They kind of just fell apart. They got off to an early lead in game one, and then Columbus took the lead from them, and they did not look back the entire series. So uh, since the Lightning were swept by them last year, what do you expect this time around, being they're currently tied one-to-one? Uh, I would expect it to go – six or seven games i would expect honestly i think it'll go the distance um the lightning have a little chip on their shoulder uh but john tortorella uh and the coach the coach for columbus blue jackets uh he's a chip on his shoulder every day the whole year every every time he walks into a rink he has a chip on his shoulder he likes his team to play with a lot of edge uh a lot of discipline um if you saw the other night uh when they played i believe it was the maple leafs in game two or three uh he was standing over uh pierre luc dubois arguably their best player the young center and uh he was screaming at him on the bench just absolutely berating him walking up one side and down the other and then uh the next night uh that kid goes out and scores a hat trick and they end up beating the maple leafs definitely a big upset very embarrassing for them um but he knows how to get the best out of his players and uh he likes to play with a lot of structure, keep things a lot very simple. Uh, they win game two after playing arguably one of the most incredible hockey games I've ever seen in game one that just went forever. Um, I, I think it'll go the distance. I don't think it can go any other way. So I agree. Yeah, I would I definitely agree. agree with you there because Tampa Bay, you know, they have a good core of players, most of them from the Rangers. But anyway, uh, that uh, – <laughs> you know have playoff experience but for some reason they do so well in the regular season and they just falter come crunch time i think this year they've done somewhat of a better job of pacing themselves but obviously with this pandemic that all goes out the window yeah exactly Uh, uh, now connor a question in regards focusing uh focusing back on the pittsburgh penguins specifically mm -hmm. you know this is a team that could have you know had that little glimpse of chance just like those other seven teams of getting a player in lafreniere they're an older team, probably in the worst situation right now at this point in time. Um, you hear their owner, their GM say, you know, we're going to have to make some changes within the organization. Um, in a division in which you have a lot of up and rising teams, you see the Islanders playing well, Carolina's playing well. Uh, Columbus is obviously still in the tournament. The Rangers, even though they got knocked out, they're coming home with the, with the first <laughs> overall pick, a young and ascending rookie goalie, a and bunch of young, great players. Where does Pittsburgh now stand after this, you know, loss where do they stand as a franchise i i think that's uh 
a great question that I can't answer because I have no idea what's going on in that room, but I have a feeling there are going to be some big changes. They could move a big name uh, like Malkin, or I would say Crosby, but I don't think he, he can go anywhere just realistically. I really don't. Um, they, they could try and move Malkin. Uh, they could move Chris Letang. They could, right now they are fortunate. They have uh, one gamble or one uh, trading chip there and, and Matt Murray and uh, Tristan Jerry, and uh, they have another goalie. Uh, yeah the third yeah, one yeah, yeah. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now um, but they have a little bit of a, a chip trading chip there they, they could get rid of a there are a lot of teams that need a goaltender look at Edmonton they, they don't know what they're doing in goal attending Buffalo Sabres oh gosh it's uh, just a hole there who knows it's what's very- going on third uh, goalie Casey DeSmith yeah, yeah there it is just need yeah. to hear the first name silly um a lot of teams could use some goaltending, uh, a lot of. Uh, right now, we're watching Calgary in the playoffs. Mind-boggling that Cam Talbot has somehow got the starting job there for the playoffs when I don't believe he had a particularly exceptional regular season. So I really don't even know what to make of that. I saw Anton Kudobin start over Ben Bishop for the Stars. Uh, again, um, Ben Bishop was deemed unfit to play. That can mean so many things. Could have been, you know, just precautionary injury stuff, or they could just think that Kudobin had the better showing in the round robin. I really don't know. But we're seeing a lot of weird things in terms of uh, goaltending right now in, the, in this little tournament. And uh, for the future, it's, a lot of teams are going to need goalies, and that that could be the only way I see Pittsburgh being able to acquire a young piece or to be able to to keep their future bright. Because if not, they're gonna they're gonna have a couple bad years here to rebuild. James, question for Connor. Connor, with um, the expansion team in Seattle that just got announced a week and a half ago, give or take, um, their jerseys are sick, by the way. I like the logo and everything. We were just talking about all the great players that the Rangers have right now, the goalies that are throughout the league. Who do you see... Like out of the some of the teams like Boston, the Rangers that have or teams that have an abundance of great players to sit, per se at the moment, who do you think they'll give up to Seattle? Because uh, it, because you guys know that for an expansion team, each team gives up. I believe it's one player yep. on their roster. Yep. So uh, something that Vegas did intelligently when they uh, had this roll around is uh, they took a look at the best players available to them, and they were like, well, we could take one of these two guys, and then uh, a lot of those teams reached out and said, we'll trade you this guy and a pick if you don't take this guy. So I think Seattle has the ability here to maybe negotiate, especially with some teams that want to keep core together. Um, I think Boston's uh, pressed against the cap, especially with it not going up, and they have to re-sign, I believe, Jake DeBrus, Tory Krug, uh, I believe there are some names on that list uh, that they re- they have to re-sign. So if if, if it's Boston, uh, I think they're actually going to have to give up an asset. Um, they could let Tory Krug walk in free agency and then let them pick something else or trade him a, uh, a prospect and a, a pick to try and keep what they have. Um, the teams like the Rangers, uh, I don't think they're too scared of anything other than they might have that they're they're gonna have to give up something that they didn't want to uh, necessarily that's but it's gonna be like a depth player nothing too mm-hmm. not, nothing too harmful to them their goalie uh, situation actually pans out pretty well because what happens is you're allowed to secure one goalie but because Igor Shesterkin didn't play a full season there he's untouchable completely yeah and he'll be able to retain Gorgiev 
He's so they won't be affected whatsoever in their goalie situation. Yeah, yeah they, 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 um, anyone that has a no trade clause cannot be picked up. Like you have to protect anyone that has a, a no trade clause. Yeah. Uh, anyone that's on their entry level contract can't be touched. So Igor was fine either way. And then, uh, Georgiev, I believe he might, he might have just come off his entry level or still on it. So I think he's safe too, to be honest. So, by the way, Montreal is now up five nothing over Philadelphia. Uh, and that game is in the third period with eight and a half minutes to go. Connor, another game happening tonight, the Vancouver Canucks against the St. Louis Blues. Now, I've got to ask you, obviously, the Blues, they pretty much, um, you know, they took care of their business as expected in the qualifying round. However, they lost all of the round robin games, and now they find themselves down one nothing against Vancouver. Um, what are the odds of them not even really just repeating, but just surviving this series. I, I, uh, I wouldn't put it as high as uh, a lot of people have a lot of faith in them. They have a great team. They have a great coach. Don't get me wrong. But this uh, quick reboot, uh, I don't think it's been kind to them necessarily. Uh, they look a little out of sorts. Their power plays and firing at all cylinders like it normally is. Um, they get a lot of contributors up and down the lineup, and I feel like that's been a big contributor to their success for the regular season. And right now, they're not getting a lot of con- contribution in a lot of areas. And I think that's definitely halt, like uh, made them falter for sure here. And uh, a team like Canucks, uh, uh, very transitional, very off the rush, very young, very fast, a lot of pace. Um, Hughes looked exceptional in that first game, just walked all over the Blues. It was beautiful. Um, I think Bennington finally looked human. They looked like they rattled him a little bit. Uh, I think that Vancouver could easily knock out the St. Louis Blues if they continue to play the same way because the Blues are not imposing themselves on anyone right now. So another series, the Islanders and the Capitals, they play tonight. The Islanders are up one nothing. Uh, after, I believe, James, they had three goals in one period. I want to say. I think it was like uh, the third yeah. period they had three goals. They were down yeah. two to one or something like that. Yeah, so they won yeah. four to two. Uh, obviously, a lot of background on this series, a lot of backlog. That is Barry Trotz, used to coach the Capitals. Now he's on the Islanders facing against his old uh, team. How do you think this goes down? Obviously, the Caps, they were a first-round disappointment last year against uh, the Hurricanes. If I, if I were to guess right now, the, the Islanders have, have, been, have uh, been fortunate enough to be able to find the back of the net, something they couldn't do right around uh, the stoppage in uh, play. Uh, they had a hard time producing offense there, and uh, the games were very low scoring, and I think they were on a pretty bad skid there for a little bit there. I think they and, didn't score in the last three games before COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't ideal, um, that's for sure. And uh, Barry Trotz has proven as a coach that he can get anyone to play defense, including Alex Ovechkin. So uh, if that's the case, uh, they, they just uh, need that, that puck luck they're getting right now. They need to take a full – uh, advantage of all their opportunities and they're doing that right now and that's why they're winning um if for any reason their offense uh hits a little bit of a wall and uh they're not getting the transition they're not scoring their opportunities in the power play these things i think that uh washington's one of those teams that will take advantage of you um they have some good depth i mean nick backstrom got hurt in that game one that could be an advantage for the islanders um it's, it'll be interesting to, to see. I, I think it'll probably go six or seven based on just the the two teams and the way they pair up. Uh, I think it's a uh, offense versus defense. And we'll, I, I mean, defense wins championships. So 
We'll see. So looking at the teams out West, Connor, obviously Vegas, they're already up uh, two nothing. Uh, Riley Smith with a game winning goal in overtime. You have the Avs as well in a series against the Coyotes, which I believe they're up two nothing as well. So the top seeds in the West right now, taking care of business up two nothing. Uh, which team scares you the most out West? Um, for, for me, uh, I'm a little more scared of, of Vegas based on their goaltending situation. They have got some depth there, two talented goaltenders. Both of them are, should be starting. I mean, I, I would not envy being in the position of the coach to be picking the goalie there. Uh, Leonard, Flurry, both exceptional talents. Uh, but they have that depth and goal. Um, the lineups are very similar to, to them in Colorado. Um, Grubauer is good in Colorado as a goalie, but he's small, and I believe that he has some tendencies being a smaller goaltender that uh, don't give him as big an advantage as uh, what Vegas has there. Um, I wouldn't want to play either of those two teams. Be be a, be a coin flip. I probably be, it wouldn't be ideal, but uh, I believe right now if if I were uh, to give anyone the, the edge in terms of their, their forwards, it'd probably be Colorado, just uh, a little more talent there, a little more depth. Uh, defense, very, very, very similar. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the goaltending is what really does it for you. I think that Vegas would be very hard to beat. Yeah, I definitely think they're um, a team that's riding high. I know last year they played the Sharks in the first round, and they they were a little unfortunate. I remember that Easter Sunday game, the double overtime. Yeah, hence the uh, coffee mug that I won <laughs> uh, for working that game. But uh, switching gears to the East, one of our last questions here is the Boston Bruins. Mm. Your your Boston Bruins, Connor. Okay. Um, yes, you are um, a big Bruins fan. They couldn't win any of their round robin games after finishing atop of the East prior to the pandemic. Are you concerned they make an early exit against? a rematch of last year's Eastern conference final. I mean, I believe that anyone can, uh, everyone should be concerned at this point that things can turn so quickly. Um, these, this, uh, undisclosed injuries, these, these, uh, unfit to play, uh, things that are popping up are a little, uh, concerning to see, uh, what's going on. Um, Boston had David Pasternak sit out of lineup for, uh, game two, in uh for carolina and uh tuka rask sat out one game during the, the round robin there um just the health thing is uh very interesting i don't think guys are as stoked to be playing these games as, as we are as fans to watch them because there's no crowd there's no energy to feed off of <coughs> so yeah i'm a little concerned that they uh might make an early exit uh tuka rask also did not have a some encouraging comments after the game, the loss to Carolina there. Uh, he just said, there's no emotion in the building. These games aren't, they don't feel like playoff games to me. He's like, it feels like an exhibition game. And, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about the results. I'm just going to go out there and try and have fun. That's a, it's a little, a little concerning. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not what you want to hear, but, uh, he's in the, is a, a more top five goalie in the league. So I don't think he'll be playing poorly just because he said that. So Connor, uh, Kyle, James, you guys have any other questions? No, I think I'm good from my end. Yeah. Awesome. Connor, you got anything for us? Uh, I don't uh, touch on 
just about all of the matchups here. I know, oh, we didn't talk about Dallas and Calgary. That's the last matchup we did not talk about. So quickly, let's just uh, break that down, Connor. Uh, Calgary and Dallas, they're tied. I know Dallas, they struggled in the round robin. uh, And the Flames beat the Jets in four. So obviously with Giordano opting out, Calgary was a top seed last year that faltered, right? So what do you think now of them this year? Do you think they have a chance to redeem? Uh, I believe Giordano's still there. Is he? I think he's in the lineup. I'm pretty sure I saw him on the ice. The wrong player. Calgary, oh, it was Travis Hamonic that opted out. Ah, yes, yes. Um, Obviously, for health concerns, no one can fault any of these players for opting out right now. Um, Not as big a concern uh, offensively for Calgary, but defensively losing him. He's a big uh, penalty gal guy. Um, Good uh, shutdown defenseman. Uh, I did not see Calgary just going to walk over Winnipeg. I didn't think that was going to happen. But uh, without Mark Shifley, and it looked like a lot of guys had a sorts in Winnipeg, Calgary took uh, full advantage of that. Um, Dallas has struggled to, to get some points on the board there. Uh, and they went through this weird little goalie round robin. Uh, couldn't tell what was going on. Uh, very interesting series. I really don't know what to make of it. It just looks kind of like... Uh, some guys are showing up to play and some aren't on different nights, and we're getting some weird results here. I mean, I would not have put Cam Talbot in, in goal as my, as my starter for the playoffs, but, hey, it worked out for him. They beat Winnipeg. Now they are they beat Dallas in the game one. I mean, they lost game two. It was a one-goal game. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting series. It's been a wild NHL playoff so far. We already saw a five-overtime game, the fourth longest <laughs> Uh, playoff hockey game ever. 85 saves. Tampa Bay and Columbus. 85 85 saves, man. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Seth Jones played over 60 minutes in that game. He literally played a full hockey game. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Man, you know, Columbus is going to be a tough out. But, uh, Connor, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Always. Thank you for having me. Thank you, man. Thank you, Connor. As Connor always bringing the good NHL insight as we'll switch the screen back there. Uh, that was Connor Walsh from Norwalk, Connecticut, uh, you know, big hockey guy. So now we're going to transition into some football. Nearly 70 players opt out, uh, but the NFL is set to happen. This includes eight Patriots players, three players from each New York team, the Giants and the Jets. And uh, Tredavious White decides he will opt in and play. So it's, it's kind of crazy the way some players look at this. Some players feel that they have to play. Some players feel they have health, con- health concerns to take care of. Nate Solder in particular, just to mention one. Yep. Uh, what do you think about this opt-out list currently? 70 players opting out. It's a lot. It's almost it's a very, roster. Yeah, it's very surprising considered this. You look, at the, you look at the names that are opting out, and they're not necessarily the stars – they're not necessarily even the guys that can afford to sit out. There are a lot of the lower name guys that were already on the bubble to make the roster to begin with, you know, outside of names like Nate Solder, for instance, uh, CJ Mosley, another big name guy. But all these other guys weren't making that much money to begin with. So it really shows how, um, how afraid or how unsure of how this season can pan out and for their own health, their own safety of their families and themselves. It's very interesting to see that. 
considering that these aren't these players that are locked up financially. I would definitely agree there. Um, you know, set the salary change as well. Definitely playing a factor. Uh, the Cowboys plan on having fans at a limited ca- capacity. They're going to have pots. Uh, James thoughts on uh, Jerry Jones and big D. They're going to have what? Groups of fans are going to be sitting in pods. Oh, pods. I heard pots. I'm (laughs) sorry. Pods. Um, Listen, Jerry Jones wants his fans. He wants his money. Makes sense in reality. But in all honesty, that's a stadium where you can pretty much have fans in. And I'll explain why. It's the I think it's like the biggest stadium in the NFL. It's I'm one honest. of the biggest stadiums, and also the way Jerry Jones designed it when it was built back in two thousand nine. Yeah, it's, or, yeah, right, something around there. Was he has it where he can extend or shrink the stadium depending on what's playing. So, right. in all aspects, if he needs to extend the stadium, I think you add a whole bunch of more seats up close. He can do that. If he needs to take seats away, he can do that. So, 100%. And they have the roof that opens, and they also have those big glass windows, which us Giant fans know because those Dallas players make sure we play the sun the second half of the game. Yeah. So they have that. I'm pretty sure they're working in whatever kind of ways Texas has or whatever guidelines they give out to these stadiums that Jerry Jones is following it to a T because he wants this. He also wants his fan, his cowboy fans in the, in his stadium. Right. Look guys, um, it's going to be very interesting what happens in Dallas. I'm not hundred percent sure uh, how that's going to work out, but sitting in pause is definitely an interesting way to watch a football game. Uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, giants talk is coming up in just a few moments, folks. We're going to talk a lot about the giants and then a little bit about the jets couple of transactions I want to address. Bengals cornerback Trey Waynes has a pectoral injury and will miss two months. That is a huge loss for Cincinnati, uh, a young team considering they brought in him, uh, as well as his teammate, I think, Mackenzie Alexander is now a Bengal as well, both players coming over from the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, But there's been some good news up in Buffalo. Bills head coach Sean McDermott gets a multi-year extension. I think this is well-deserved. Yep. A guy who has brought Buffalo to the playoffs, um, you know, a couple of winning seasons over the last couple of years. He's been the head coach since 2017. I really like Sean McDermott. He's a defensive-minded coach, learned under the, under the late, great Jim Johnson in Philadelphia. Uh, thoughts on Sean McDermott? He deserves like, it. Like you said, Tom, it's, it's well-deserved. Uh, in the playoffs last year, now they added their star-wide receiver for Josh Allen to throw to the – they always draft very well. You know, Tredavious White now coming back, one of the up-and-ascending cornerbacks in this league, definitely a stud type of player on that defensive, uh, on the defense, uh, combined with all the other players they have on defense, Matt Milano, uh, Micah Hyde, just a bunch of great defensive minds, defensive names, combined with Sean McDermott as the head coach. Uh, they're definitely going to be a very successful team this year. And, sit, and on top of the fact, you know, even though Bill Belichick is still coaching the Patriots, the loss of Tom Brady within that division, uh, the Miami Dolphins the way they are, the Jets the way they are at this point in time. It's going to be a division. It's Buffalo's division at this point, personally, in my opinion, to lose. They're not playing in a tough division at this point in time. Combined with the great coaching in which they have, they should have a great season. They really should. 
I agree. You I can think also the Bills will be look really at it, good. Look at it this way. Patriots already lost eight guys, right? Eight guys, yeah. Yeah, eight guys from the opt-out. That's only benefit, benefiting the Bills. Yeah. You know? So uh, he True. definitely deserved it. I mean, he turned the Bills around to to what they, you know, from what they were, in a sense. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because that team didn't make the playoffs for a while. We're talking years. Um, So, you know, I think he's definitely the guy to run that table right now up in Buffalo. Uh, No pun intended for Mafia fans. Um, (laughs) Other news up in Buffalo. Left tackle Deion Dawkins gets a four-year, $60 contract extension. Uh, I really like this move for Buffalo and Dawkins because he has been a good part of that offensive line. Um, an offensive line that recently just saw Eric Wood retire. So um, it's not like Buffalo has gone up clean shave in these last couple of years. They've had to build a competitive team, and that's exactly what they've done. That's exactly yep. what they've done, and they're hanging in there now with the New England Patriots. So shout out to them. Um, other news, NFC East division rival Dallas Cowboys agreed to terms with Everson Griffin. Now, before oh, we... Um, criticize this or uh, worry about it. I think it's important to realize that Everson Griffin has been a dominant force in the NFL, but he is also 32 years old, uh, transferring now into a new system. Obviously, he played under Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, but now he's here in Dallas. So I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he adapts to the Cowboys' defensive system. But that front seven is nasty. You got um, Dantari Poe. As well, I'm not sure if they still have Gerald McCoy. Yep, they signed uh, Gerald McCoy now. Excuse me. Another name to look out for. Uh, they signed Alden Smith, who at one point in time was like the defensive end. He's coming yep. back for his first yep. season over the course of the last five years. So that's going to be inter- an interesting factor combined with obviously the Marcus Lawrence. That's it's going to be a nasty defense for sure. They, and then behind them is even worse. Yeah, you have the combination yeah. of Jalen Smith Trump. and uh, Leighton Vander Esch. Yeah. yeah, they still got Sean Lee, rock solid. Yeah, 11, 12 years now in the league. Uh, crazy, crazy. Uh, other news, it's been a great uh, cash-out week for NFL top tight ends. George Kittle gets a deal, and then Travis Kelsey gets one uh, hours later. George Kittle gets a record-breaking five-year, $75 million contract extension. This guy was a uh, mid-to-late-round flyer back in the 2017 draft. Several tight ends were taken before him, uh, including Giants tight end Evan Ingram, uh, at the time Chicago tight end Adam Sheehan, just to name a couple. O.J. Howard as well, who's still developing in Tampa Bay. My opinion is that George Kittle is arguably the best tight end in the NFL right now. This guy's only 25 years old. Travis Kelsey is 30, right? So there's a five-year difference. I think at this point, uh, Kittle, we still haven't seen the best of him. I think we've seen the best of Kelsey at this point. I mean, I could be wrong there, but I think George Kittle has a little bit of a higher ceiling. I think Kelsey's more of a consistent player right now uh, that is guaranteed you to get you numbers every single game, and he makes a lot of good catches to move the chains. Speaking of Travis Kelsey's deal, four-year, $57.25 million contract extension. So... I ask you guys, who got the better end of the bargain here, Kittle or Kelsey, or should I say San Francisco or Kansas City? <laughs> I think Kansas. I think that Kelsey did personally, considering that he is the older of the two by about, I think, 
four or five years. I know that I think Kittle's turning 27 in October and Kelsey's turning 31 in October. So to get a massive payday like that and kind of reset the market for your position as a 31-year-old coming off the Super Bowl championship, adding another five years, I think now a total of six because he had one year left on his deal, five-year extension, or was it a four-year extension, I believe. It was, it was one of the two. To get paid at that day and age and that you know at that age, it's – it's a lot. I think Kelsey won, but George Kittle definitely got locked up. I think it rounds out to $15 million on the nose, 75 divided by five, if I'm correct. $15 million on the nose yeah. per season for the next five years. That's that's a definitely a competition I'd want to be in. That's a, that's a competition I'd want to be in. It's been crazy. There's been a lot of transactions this week. Patriots rookie center Dustin Woodard retires. Not COVID-related, just out of the blue, retires. Um crazy i don't know why but uh that's big for them <laughs> obviously they have david andrews coming back but they lost ted Karras to miami in the offseason so you have joe tooney and david andrews obviously marcus cannon opted out and then backup lineman Najee Tehran opted out as well and the 49ers made another splash today well, maybe not a splash but they signed the good uh core of uh, role player receivers in Tavon Austin and J.J. Nelson. Tavon Austin, very explosive player that I think San Francisco was missing on their offense last season before the emergence of Debo Samuel, at least from the wide receiver position, that is. Uh, In addition to those two guys, they have Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, and Brandon Ayuk, who they drafted in the first round. I know Fonz was very high on him. Yep, Ayuk is a tall guy. He kind of came in to replace Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, so overall, I think San Francisco got better offensively. The only player of note they really lost besides Sanders was Mike Person, one of their offensive linemen. Their hog mollies up front as uh, that sets the stone for a transition into the New York football Giants. The hog molly GM Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants are, um, you know, in the swing of training camp now. Obviously, very bad news this week coming out of New York. Uh, 36-year-old daughter of co-owner Steve Tisch, Hillary Tisch, passes away this week. Uh, terrible news, very young age, definitely uh, awful. And I know the interviews that um, the Giants media reporters were orchestrating with the staff members this week, the first thing they were saying, just wanted to take, take time to think, uh, you know, send thoughts and prayers to the family, the Tisch family, this and that. It's been a rough couple of weeks for the Giants. They also saw their starting left tackle and captain Nate Solder opt out, in addition to Damari Scott and a very surprising one, Sam Beal, who was yeah. slated to compete for the number two cornerback position. Because, you know, the Giants have been a mess in that department. As uh, DeAndre Baker charged of four counts of robbery, and in addition with a firearm, and four counts of aggravated assault. So, um, according to Baker's attorney, they think he's going to be okay and return to the team at some point. But this could be from ten years up to life in prison. This is I, not. This is not a uh, a drill here, folks. This is a serious action that should not be committed under any circumstances. I mean, I don't think that personally he's going to last. I just don't think the Giants going to wind up dealing with it. It's going to be um, definitely a sad time for them because they're going to have to. Uh, I think they're going to wind up cutting him. They're going to wind up having to eat the cap in which he is responsible for, considering that he was a first-round pick. I think that would make them uh, responsible for $10, $10 million or $8 million of dead money, which is going to hurt. But now being on the NFL commissioner's exempt list, uh, 
you're paying a guy that's not going to play. You don't know his timetable will return. They might just wind up cutting him eventually. And what's crazy was Quentin Dunbar from Seattle, the other player in this uh, got, yeah. scenario. Yeah, taken off the list. Yep. Tell you. Um, okay, so with that being said, um, the Giants did make a good move this week or last week. They gave uh, one of their versatile, more versatile offensive linemen, Nick Gates, a two-year contract extension. I think well-deserved. Uh, yeah. Nick Gates, obviously a big role player on this team, filled in at times last year for the injured Mike Remmers. And Nick Gates, I think, is a guy that Joe Judge will love because Nick Gates brings you versatility across all five positions on that offensive line. He can play left tackle, left guard, center, and both each of the right guard and right tackle positions. Yeah, uh, and He's actually competing for a starting job for two different positions. He's the only player on the Giants line that can say that, in my opinion, because after Nate Solder opting out, obviously Andrew Thomas is now probably going to start at left tackle, right? But why does Joe Judge work all these guys out at several different positions? Well, if a guy goes down, you got to be good at a different position as well. You may be asked to do one thing one week and another thing the next week, and I think that's really good, especially for a younger guy like Matt Pert, their third-round pick out of UConn, who might be a swing tackle this year. I know he's competing with Cam Fleming, but due to coronavirus, a lot of teams are sticking to their veterans, right? These rookies are kind of behind. Uh, obviously, the Giants is a little different scenario with a new coaching staff. But, um, you know, I've got to tell you, I really like this new offensive line. It's a young and improved offensive line. They also went out and drafted Shane Lemieux, mm-hmm. who can play guard or center. And they obviously Cam Fleming, Andrew Thomas, and Matt Pert. Those are four new faces on the offensive line. So I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this new offensive line. But, um, you know, with that being said, with all these moves, the Giants currently sit with $22 million in cap space. I think if they were smart, they would wait to uh, give extensions if they want to give Evan Ingram an extension or if they want to reach early and help Saquon Barkley's case out. But I think Barkley will have to at least wait until after the 2020 season. That's just my opinion. But, uh, yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think about that? What do they do with that twenty two million sitting there right now? Do they stash it? Do they extend somebody? What do you think? So I just got I, to go peppers too on defense. Got to worry about. I had the I had the opportunity to speak with Ralph Vacchiano yesterday with um with SNY uh, NFL Insider cover for the Giants and the Jets, and I actually asked them because obviously the Giants towards the beginning of free agency or end of free agency after the draft, Jadavian Clowney, a guy that they had suspected interest in. Uh, obviously he's still in the market. The NFL season is going to start within about a month. And I asked him, you know, with $22 million on the books, do you think that the Giants would then revitalize their intriguement in a guy in Jadavian Clowney, maybe on a one-year deal, uh, maybe one year, $16, $18 million deal, just to give him the money that he's looking for for the one year, considering that now they have it? He said he doesn't think it's going to happen. He said that they kind of lost interest over the course of time, and they think that, they're just going to wind up saving that money leading into um, next year. But um, it definitely would have been interesting to see for sure because, you know, still going into the season, I don't think the Giants have necessarily that lockdown uh, defender, that edge rusher that they necessarily need. I know they brought in – they brought back Marcus Golden, who had 10 sacks last season for the Giants. Uh, what kind of players are you going to be now in a new defensive scheme with Patrick Graham as the defensive coordinator? But um, – that idea is probably out of the question for Jadavian Clowney to be wearing big blue come September. 
but uh but it is it is what it is i personally don't think the team needs Clowney. i think with golden coming back that helps you bring in fackel and you have young guys it's not like you don't have talent on the roster uh carter and zaminas just have to show up and you know improve a little bit obviously x-man was great last year in his limited playing time so I, I really have high hopes on him to compete in addition to Fackrell and Lorenzo Carter. I think we haven't seen the best of any of those three players yet. Um, and we know what we're going to get out of Marcus Golden. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that's bad. Would, Cl- would Clowney help? Of course, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's a need right now. And thinking about it, uh, it wasn't thinking about it. Now I'm actually kind of glad we didn't draft one. Uh, at the time, I wasn't thrilled, but I'm starting to understand more now that the Giants are really trying to rebuild that offensive line and retool it as where they kind of got lucky in a sense that Golden came back to the team. So now I feel a little bit better about the pass rush, uh, but it'll, it'll be left to be foreseen come week one. I think there's other issues right now the Giants have um, trying to replace DeAndre Baker, who starts in his place. Obviously, the team attempted to sign Ross Cockrell, who was on the team in 2017. Uh, But however, that deal did not go through due to financial reasons. So that's a big blow for the Giants. Uh, But they were able to sign a couple of uh, young players, undrafted rookie free agent tackle Jackson Dennis out of Holy Cross. Big guy, 6'7" on the roster to replace uh, Nate Wozniak, who just retired out of the blue last week. And then they also go out and sign wide receiver Cody White to bring even more comp- – I love the competition the Giants have at wide receiver right now. There, there may not be many big names outside of Slayton, Tate, and Shepard, but you have a good young core, and I think the Giants might have a lot of depth at this position after all because these are a lot of young guys who have a lot of different – strengths and skill sets david sills the fifth benjamin victor uh derek dillon austin mack um even alex bachman from wake forest has shown some signs of improvement according to the staff i know brett bielema was looking at him a lot uh and now you add cody white into the mix as well and tony brown the giants wide receiver court is loaded right now it's just a matter of which ones will make this final 55-man roster yeah no doubt. No doubt. It's hard because I'll be honest with you. I don't even think Corey Coleman's a lock. I don't think Corey Coleman's a lock. I, I think, think, I think it'll be a lock to be the, uh, the kick punt returner, considering that that was such a big issue last year. Injuries, though. Concern. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, again, Kyle, like I, I agree, but it's a new coaching staff, too. That and is true. I have to re-impress the team, in a sense, because there's not many holdovers from last year. Yeah. Um, it's complicated every time the new coaching staff. Uh, my big, bigger concern is what do the Giants have at the cornerback position? That much. my concern because you have a great receiving core in Dallas. Uh, not so great of a one in Philadelphia, but you and not you know an average one maybe in Washington, but Dallas it's going it's going to come up big. Uh, right now, it's either going to be I don't know. Uh, Corey Ballantyne is an option. Julian Love. It might be, again, having the opportunity to speak with Ralph Acchiano yesterday. He said that don't be surprised if it's Darnay Holmes. He said mm-hmm. don't be surprised if it's Darnay Holmes because he's really impressed in uh, in training camp. He's really done a great job uh, so far. Um, obviously, the Giants, you know, once the draft was over, he was one of the most talked about picks. Uh, a guy in Deion Sanders talked so highly about him. And when you have 
prime time, one of the greatest defenders of all time at his position, talking so highly about this kid that you stole in the, in the fourth round. I mean, that's something to talk about. And, uh, you know, that could potentially be the option. That could potentially be the option. So my thing with that, obviously, I heard, overheard through an interview with Joe Judge that uh, I'm not, I'm sorry, not Joe Judge, Jabril Peppers, that he's being cross-trained to play cornerback as well. Obviously, okay. he's their number one safety at the moment, but that could be an option too at some point because you have Love and McKinney who could also both play safety. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, Peppers is much better off as a safety, in my opinion, but you still have Julian Love who could play some nickel, right? You have a lot of depth at the nickel position. So as Ralph Vacchiano brought up to you, Kyle, if Darnay Holmes starts opposite Bradbury, you can put Love in as the nickel back. Yeah. You still have Grant Haley, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he has that prestigious connection with Saquon Barkley being roommates at Penn State. Year three, they're both still currently there. Yep. Um, I don't think I don't know if Grant Haley sticks around this year, but with the way bodies are flying right now, Grant Haley is the most uh, experienced New York Giant cornerback currently on the roster. Yeah. Which is not saying much. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then looking at it, do they go out? Do they sign a guy like Logan Ryan, Tremont Williams, Des- Desmond King, potentially from the Chargers? Mm. You know, because yep. Desmond King might be a decent option, to be honest with you. Tremont Williams, he is the actually, yeah, he is the oldest cornerback remaining in the NFL. I think, I think he's, he's like 36 36? or 36. 36 at the, somewhere, 36, 38 age range. But. Um, yeah, and I know the Giants signed rookie Prince Smith, and the Giants recently claimed wide receiver C.J. Board off of waivers from Jacksonville yesterday. So there's another name you could add to the pool of wide receiver talent. And you look at this 80-man roster, there's a chance 71 of those players stick because there is a 16-man practice squad in addition to the 55-man roster. Uh. So those are our overall thoughts on the New York Giants. Before we get to the Jets here for the last 10 minutes of the show, I uh, just want to say a couple things. Robinson Cano from the Mets just activated off the 10-day IL. He will serve as the DH tonight for the Mets. This news is coming out. Unfortunately, Aaron Judge with a calf injury will be placed on the 10-day IL. This was confirmed through tests yesterday by Aaron Boone. Calls it a very mild strain of his calf, but you want to be careful. Obviously, and I'm not too concerned because the Yankees have a very deep lineup. By the way, I love Mike Ford, Kyle. Love Mike Ford. I love him too. It's just that you don't want to see your top guys go down an injury, especially because, you know, not having that much time to necessarily recover. As crazy as it sounds, we're already 20 games through the 60-game season. Yeah. When you talk about three, four weeks, that's, that's, basically, the, that's basically the rest of the season we're talking about right now. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's not good to be losing these types of guys. Um you know, hopefully be back by playoff time, potentially. For sure. Uh, so let's move on to the Jets. Obviously, they traded away Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. I know there's been some beef with that with Pete Carroll and Greg Williams. That whole situation was a circus. And now C.J. Mosley opting out. The Jets lose their two best defensive players. The Jets already have a very difficult schedule as it is this season. And I know I was talking to you guys about this last night. Do they even win like two or three games? I, I think that I think four games is uh, being generous right now, based off the way the schedule looks. I mean, of course, you don't know till the team goes out on the field and competes. But right now, it's not 
it's really not looking good for these Jets. Their de- their defense just man. It's gonna be it's gonna be bad. The only thing that's really keeping my mind high on the Jets, not high on the Jets, but in a good place, not to necessarily win as many games as they would like to do, because obviously they finished off the season seven and nine last season. I don't think they're gonna get better than that. I think they're going to fall a little bit, probably around a five, four win range, somewhere around that. But Greg Williams, you got to remember, he's a very, he's a very, very good defensive minded uh, coach. Uh, him as the defensive coordinator, he's already spoken about it. You know, obviously with the loss of Jamal Adams, he talked highly of Brad- Bradley McDougal coming in. Uh, talked highly about Ashton Davis, who they drafted at Cal State uh, this past draft. Um, losing C.J. Mosley, you know, there was talks about, you know. You know, even though C.J. Mosley was a member of the team last season, he really didn't play, so it's not like they're really missing him. But um, with him as a defensive-minded coach, I think the defense should be fine. What will be really interesting is the offensive side of the ball. You know, year two of Adam Gase, how, does, how is he going to use Le'Veon Bell? That's the key because they're missing. Quincy Nuwa is gone. He just got released. Um, Jamison Crowder, I would assume, would be the number one, even though he's a slot receiver. You have Denzel Mims there. Uh, two tight end situation, Ryan Griffin and Chris Herndon. But how are you going to use Le'Veon Bell? That's the key, because if you could get somewhat of what he was back in Pittsburgh, even though he is an older player, if that line does come to fruition, that's even a little bit better than what it was last season, because last season it was atrocious. Um, If he gets a little better, Le'Veon Bell will be a major factor in this offense and potentially help the Jets win more games than lose games. True. Yeah. Uh, look, Avery Williamson also sits on that pup list, though, so I'm not 100% sure I'm confident in their defense at all. Their two best linebackers are out. They don't yeah. have their best defensive back. Yes, Bradley McDougald is a reinforcement, but how much of a difference could he realistically make? Yeah, that's uh, true. Not, not to mention Tremaine Johnson is still a free agent. Nobody's picked them up, and the Jets released them probably for good reasoning. Uh, they've also lost three wide receivers. Josh Bellamy is on the reserve, unable to perform list. Quincy and Nunwa got released, and there were three player opt outs. One of them was wide receiver Josh Doxson, who they signed. So now you're stuck with Jamison Crowder. Not stuck, but you're, you're left. You're left with Jamison Crowder and Denzel Mims. Those are your top two guys. Uh, not good enough. Not who, good replaces, who replaces these guys at linebacker? Jordan Jenkins ain't enough. Neville Hewitt ain't enough. Come do on. they still have James Burgess on their team still? I believe yes, they do. But he was uh, he I think he's currently on the COVID list. Okay. And then Joe Flacco and Ryan Griffin are also both on the pup list. So there goes your backup quarterback. Um and your backup tight end to Chris Herndon. Yeah. Right? So uh the, the Jets. And of course last year we know the Jets. Second pick of that draft, Ja'Kai Polite, who was taken in the third round, did not even make the final roster. He's now sitting on the Rams. I think he ended up on the Seahawks or something originally. Yep. Do all of the Jets draft picks even make the roster this year? See, that's that's my thing. Because uh, I thought they drafted a really good safety in Ashton Davis. I think he went to California, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's the guy who comes in and replaces Jamal Adams. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think he's a good replacement as a rookie. I just don't think you want to invest that much money into a safety, especially when you have a young guy like him on your roster. I know they have, they have another safety too. I for, always forget who started opposite. Marcus May. It was Marcus May. Is he is he even there still? He is right. He's still there. So yeah, that's that's my two cents on the Jets. Um, 
Other sports news, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they both cancel their college football seasons for now. Uh, They might look to move it to the spring. That's still left to unfold. Ohio State still looking to play this fall. I know the ACC and SEC are confident they're going to get this done. Again, pretty much all college fall sports are canceled this year, except for a couple of major powerhouse football conferences. Uh, Kyle, why do you think the ACC and SEC are still trying to hold on? They're still trying to hold on because they're still trying to, you know, it's it's all about revenue and money, and they're, and that's what they're really trying to do. Because granted, you know, there's been there's talks and hopes that you know you come back in the springtime, but it's also a matter. It's a combination of not just what college is going to, is going to be wanting to do, but what is the NFL going to want to do? You know, because if you start a season per se in, let's say, earliest January or February, what are you going to do with the draft? What are you going to do with pre-combine workouts? What are you going to do with interviews with players? You know, are we going to be in a better place where COVID is hopefully non-existent or behind us instead of in front of us still? What What is the world going to be like? You know, they're still holding on to the reins because the world is somewhat getting back to somewhat normal. But, you know, obviously talks as wintertime comes into play. You know, what is the world going to be like a sport like football where they're is responsible for so many people going in and out of the state, uh, so many people to be in charge of because this is this is the sport in which obviously there's so many more personnel than obviously a, a sport in baseball, a sport in uh, basketball. You know, are you going to be able to make sure? And especially because you're putting student athletes, you know, in danger. These are kids that aren't secure. These are the kids that don't necessarily have that platform position to say, "I'm going to sit out this season." Because this is, you know, they're playing to make it to the big league so they can make that type of decision. Uh, yeah. It's so much of a risk factor that you don't know at the end of the day what's going to happen. I, my personal opinion, I, I think that they made the right move in, in canceling the season or at least suspending it till the spring. Because when you start putting, listen, it's one thing to put adults in play, right? The NFL, make it a choice. The NBA, make it a choice. Because these are guys that are under contract, and even if they're not making their set contract, they're still making some type of money. These players, they're first off, they're losing a year of eligibility, most likely. They're probably not going to be getting that back. On top of the fact that they're not making money, they're losing a year of play in which they could potentially make it to this next level. On top of the fact they're putting their families and themselves in danger, potentially traveling all over the country. You know, you don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day, but I think that the Big Ten, uh, one of those divisions, obviously, as well, that I think they made a smart decision, but you know, we'll see as we come along. I know obviously um, LIU post, they canceled their athletics. I know my school, Hofstra, they, they canceled their, even though they don't have a football team, they canceled their entire uh, fall athletic program and potentially pushing it to the spring as well. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. James, uh, I don't know. You, you want to piggyback on that? I mean, Russo hit it spot on the nose where Everybody's hoping right now that, uh, you know, we can maybe get to some sort of normalcy in spring in 2021, you know, January, February, March, you know. Um, I look forward to what they're going to do with, you know, Ohio State and all them. Um, I just don't want to see any of their players at risk because, you know, some of these players don't come from the greatest background. They get a nice scholarship, you know, full ride, you know, God forbid if they get sick and they can't play, you know, for the rest of the season or what, whatever, how, 
pretty much how do they deal with that scholarship at the end of the day? You know, what happens to their full ride? Do they now have to be like, I, you know, I can't afford paying nearly a hundred grand to say go to Ohio State. I'm making up numbers, of course. Um, But, you know, it it also is going to come down to that. Well, speaking of Ohio State, their number one college recruit, class of 2022, Jack Sawyer, will skip his final high school football season, and he is seeking early enrollment at Ohio State. So now it's getting worse, guys. You're starting to see high school athletes forego their senior year, which, you know, this could affect uh, a lot of players' development. It's definitely a concerning thing. Big guy Jack Sawyer is 6'5", 320 from Pickerington North High School in, uh, I think, Ohio, I want to say. I know it's uh, a state from the Midwest. But, uh, yeah, that's where he's from around that area. So that's definitely big for them. Uh, Guys, that'll pretty much wrap this up. Um, And then for next week, obviously the NBA playoffs will be in full swing and the NHL playoffs will be – near the close of round one as well. We'll be approaching those late couple of games. Kyle and James, thanks very much for joining me tonight. Really appreciate it. And all our Facebook live watchers, remember like subscribe to our podcast on anchor.fm slash review and preview, or give us a like or follow here on Facebook live at review and preview sports. As you can see on the bottom ticker on behalf of James Montefusco and Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta saying so long. And have a good evening, everybody. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night.